Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, as always, Jack Greenstock, joined by an amazing panel. With uh, first, I'll pass it over to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram only. I know there's a fake pretender out there that I apparently Facebook will do nothing about. So, um, but <laughs> I'm on Instagram only, Spartan Grown, all one word, no space. And uh, you can also shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'm on no other platform. So if there's scammers out there, I can't be responsible for them. Don't give them your money or personal information. That's a good note. You know? Exactly. And uh, I want to give a warm happy birthday shout out to Kyle of Pure Breeding. He won't be joining us tonight, but uh, he just messaged us in the group chat a few minutes ago. So happy birthday to Kyle. But with that said, next, we've got Dr. MJ. Welcome back. Hey guys, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited to uh, be around for another show and uh, curious what we'll get into today. It's always a fun new adventure. So, grow with love, everyone. All righty, we don't have a specific topic yet, so I definitely think we're going to hit some chat Q&A and uh, maybe some topics from the panel will spring up as well. But next up, I'll pass it over to Noah Vigroa. How's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah Grow on Instagram with two E's. You can find me there. And uh, been a panel member here for a couple of years. So happy to be here and get in with you guys. We're officially coming on three years. I was just looking on Stitcher, and I think March 3rd or something was one of the first shows. Um, funny enough, it, like the first one was like a problem I had in my garden. And then like the first episode that I could see labeled growing with my fellow growers was like episode three. So there's two episodes that aren't actually labeled growing with my fellow growers, but then like the episode three, I think is March 6th, I want to say of uh, 2019. Were those first two shows like the full panel? No, it was, it was just myself, uh, Skilbo. And I think the next one was you, Shane, and it, it might've just been you two. I was just reading through them like right before, but uh, it was definitely a, a much, much smaller panel. Yeah. It was like something about auto flowers. And then okay. the third one was labeled. It's like, listen to my show, Growing With My Fellow Growers, episode three. And that's where I think uh, more people started jumping in. But I don't want to forget to uh, introduce the other two panelists we've got. Yeah, no, us. no, no. That's good. good. I'm just interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew Gates uh, will be next. Yeah, hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist. And you can find me in many places. You can find me as a staff writer for Skunk Magazine. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Xenthanol and xenthanol.com for professional inquiries about pest management and uh, information therein. Happy to have you back as always. And last and absolutely not least, the American one. Hello, Jack panel and everyone in chat. I am the American one. Uh, I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s, which is spelled A-C-H-E-N-E-S. Uh, on the uh, IG, and uh, yeah, most of you know me. And, and if you if you don't, go check me out and follow me. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. I can't wait to see what comes up, like Doctor MJ was saying. And uh, yeah, good, great. The man with the Amy Aces that everybody loves, and, and many others. But uh, that's that's the one I've seen the most people grow from uh, the American ones. Stable there. I was just realizing that I my. Cell phone was not muted, so uh, I had to mute that. And I'll remind everybody to jump into the live chat if you are with us on YouTube right now so you can see all the messages and uh, 
if you want to tag myself, you can tag at Sheep Home Grow or at Jack Greenstock. Both of them will make it pop up highlighted for me if you want to get your question noticed. Sorry, Tal, I cut you off there. No, I was just going to say it's it's really good seeing everybody uh, run the Amy Aces. And, the, you know, I learned a lot watching a lot of people starting because a couple of them got all males and it's prompting me to lean more and more to try and attempt a, a fem seed uh, run at some point. But yeah, I have so many things I want to do. I don't have time or space. So I think I better uh, study physics to overcome time and space and I'll be able to get to everything I want to get done. Relatable. I think in terms of breeding, right? Tao? Oops, sorry, yeah. In terms of breeding and yeah, just in general, everything. Just the general uh, And just the seeds, general. the amount of seeds that I want to uh, explore, it's like it's endless. And you it need... just continues to grow. So just to like, yeah, like I put a time out on starting new stuff. I'm going to go back to to some of the stuff I already had and like tweak it a little and look for uh, specific uh, mother traits and father traits that I could get closer to a consistency that I want. But yeah, just trying this chocolate thing is, is like taking up everything. And I save into, I'm still going to save two males and um, I was listening on some other podcast, a guy talking about breeding, and I had, uh, I like seeing this too. I had a mother and a, and a sister where, you know, they were brother and sister. They looked exactly alike. And it was like, I want to use that male across that female and see if there would be consistency across the uh, progeny. But clearly that male didn't make it. And uh, yeah, but that's like, uh Everything I run now, if I start new seeds, I want to keep them out to try try it with every, all the girls that I got. You know what I'm saying? Do you think you're legitimately going to go the feminized route with something like maybe Amy Aces that you found has been pretty uh, resistant to intersex traits? Well, yeah. But my plan with that is I want to cross because and every male I get, I want to hit that proprietary plant with because I love that thing and it's it's solid too. So my I, it's a big long story, but I got. I had acquired some of the um, reversal spray a while back. I have it in the refrigerator and it's the kids. I, I told them like, it might be a while before I get to it. It'd be like a good test to see if it lasts refrigerated. But in any case, I was going to use it on the chocolate that I got because they were feminized seeds. But then I ended up getting other chocolate flavored seeds that I kept like that chocolate OG. I'm keeping two males of that. So I have a male of that that I can make more seeds with and hit the chocolate with. So I'm really considering now uh, hitting the proprietary with that spray, trying to get some pollen off of that and hitting everything with that pollen. Have any of those chocolate OG females shown any promise as far as one? Yeah, one department. One has, but it's fainting and it's losing. Like, yeah, it was faint. And you know what? I think I unknowingly had COVID at one point because I was like, all these plants that I was harvesting, like, man, there's no smell. There's no smell. There's no smell. So I put them, you know, I jarred them up still and everything when they were great. And then I opened up one. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? And it just smelled so strong. It was um, that bubble tonic plant that I was telling you guys the kid sent me. And uh, yeah, so at least at some point, I think I had a, a very low sense of smell at some point. But, you can uh, hear smell from other like even common colds um right my, my mother-in-law whenever she would get 
the flu, she loses her sense of smell. So it's definitely uh, something that can happen. Uh, the other thing somebody mentioned, I think it might've been smart poker or somebody else that used like a, one of the drying devices, but the herb was kept at about 60 degrees. And until it starts hitting like that room temperature, if it's like below 68, you're not getting a lot of those volatiles coming off of it. So right. if it was like the winter time in New York and your house is just like colder than 68, it was in jars and you just harvested it and it was kept below 68 the entire time. Not a lot of volatiles are going to be coming off of that versus like if you left one of those jars in like a hot car and then you came back right. to it, and you it pop it, you're like, like holy oh. fuck, it just like yeah. smacks you in the nose. That's how that, you left it in the trunk and the whole car just reeked when you open up the door. Anova says that um, Tao has Amy's on Daga, on Daga, but uh, hasn't yes. announced it. You want to talk love. about that? Oh, you know, well, yeah. So it's, I, I just found it actually. So, yeah, I, um, Daga, Dot Garden has my, uh, Amy Aces available and I found the link. So I'll put the link in chat. And, uh, if you guys want to have at it, have at it. Cause it helps out Pete, helps out, uh, Future Canvas Project and it and helps out me too. So it's a win, win, win. And you get some Amy Aces. That's a good way to go about doing it. I'll go find the link and put it in there. Yeah. Did they change it to Daga.garden? I remember it used to be Daga.love. It might be a different website though. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that's that's where uh, the seeds are anyway. I'll double check and I will post that link. Anybody got anything new and exciting? I've seen Brandon's got uh, some blueberry muffins that are starting to turn purple over there on his Instagram. Anybody got something new and early flower they're excited about? I well, it just flipped a flower, so I'm excited about that. But you know, they're just they're still sort of transitioning. What about you, uh, Spartan? That was me. It's like I've got, I've I went through a cycle where I had everything out of my, so I had nothing in flower, and so now I'm just um, instead of filling everything, I'm going to just not even light wise. I'm going to just fill, more, section off one or let me see four plants per light. But uh, I'm going to put just stagger them as they're ready, throw them in there. And so it's going to be a staggered harvest and it'll be, you know, a perpetual thing going. But right now I've got two plants in there. I've got a sour diesel and I don't remember what else I threw in there. But I got a, a banana daddy from Thunder Dan. I see him in chat. Shout out to him. The one he hunted. I got that going in next, which is going to be soon within the next probably week. And then behind that, I've got cobra milk. I'm trying to get it to get big enough because it doesn't stretch much. And uh, so that'll go in after behind that. But I don't know what's next. Probably Orange Dream Haze after that. Do you know the lineage on the Cobra Milk? I'm not familiar with that one. It's got interesting That's name. Tiki. That's Tiki Madman, and he crossed cereal milk with Jealousy. And, and we actually, we ran, a, we pheno hunted a pack at work, and we narrowed it down to three phenos, the one, two, and three. And the number one was really short. It didn't really stretch much. So they eliminated that, but I thought it had the best turp profile. So I kept it. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. Cereal milk is one of my favorites. I'm not a huge jealousy fan, not like the emotion, but the actual strain or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, cereal milk to me is some real special shit. That's like kind of new to me, but I guess it's been in Michigan since like 2015, 2016. And I guess it's made it its way around and I'm happy to hear you guys are growing some of it. Um, is the pheno that you picked the one with like the aroma and flavor that you're looking for? Is it kind of on that like more flavorful, uh, milky kind of sweet side? Yeah, milky and like maybe 
maybe berries of some sort or i don't know i'm not sure yet i'll, I'll to i haven't grown it myself yet other than we just grew it the one time at work so i think once i get it going in organics it's going to bring out more of the flavor profile i'm hoping and i'll be able to narrow, narrow down some more it's reminiscent to me of a strain that i have not been able to find for a long time and there's been a few people replicating it so don't don't send me the people replicating it i know who they are but uh fruity pebbles and since then fruity pebbles og fpog as it's often referred to have that actual true to like my childhood remembering of like fruity pebble smell and flavor and it also had a really solid high associated with it and the bud was nice dense good structure good bag appeal it's kind of all around a, a winner and then cereal milk is like one of the closest in my memory to hitting that but it's not quite as sweet as the uh, fruity pebbles as i remember the females that i came across but um the cross of the cereal milk is interesting that, that i've come across from cannabiotics is um i think it's strawberry lemonade crossed to thick mint cookie like number 13 or something something you know but um yeah it was definitely not what i thought it was and then there's like cookies who claims it's cherry pie crossed to cookies which is just bullshit they, they did not make it so <laughs> don't believe that i don't know i mean this one i think it's going to be and this is me guessing because i know the jealousy that plant tends to get really purple at, at harvest time so the other two phenos got really purple, but this one didn't. So I'm thinking this one's more of a cereal milk leaner also just because of the plant morphology too. But I don't know how that plant grew. It finishes green. At least the stuff that I get out here from cannabiotics, it's it's pretty green and orange. So okay. um, you might be in jealousy. I've seen it go almost like black, like super dark purple, like you're saying. So yeah, it is interesting. The genetics, when you see the crosses like that you get one that leans toward one parent one lead leans toward the other and hopefully that color is maybe indication of some of the other aromas and flavors that make that cultivar really special in my opinion i've been looking for it i actually dm'd the breeder on uh, instagram i was just like hey your shit's really fucking fire man like congrats on making that because i really haven't been able to find shit this good in a long time but um Noah the grower's got his hand up so Noah, you want to jump in yeah totally i uh i got a bunch of new shit coming down too and i actually just uh I have a bunch of seeds from a bunch of guys, you know, a bunch of panel members and a bunch of just been accumulating them. And uh, one of the first people to hook me up was Kyle. And I actually just popped uh, three, um, I guess it's cherry New England rock candy. I don't, I, I have a bunch of stuff. So I popped and all three of them right off the bat came up right, really, really easily. And uh, I just put them in dirt too. So, I mean, they're, you know, in, you know, plant soil. And then uh, I also got, a new platinum Girl Scout Skittles cross. And then I just got like uh, duct tape. I'd run it before, but my room was a little hot at the time. So I'm running it again. And another one that I'm like interested in getting that I, uh, that I know I can get is a uh, pie face. Has anybody ever heard of that or grown that or anything about that? I've only had a pie face OG. I've never had just pure pie face. Yeah. Pie face OG. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty good in my, uh, the thing is like out where I'm at, there's a ton of OGs around. So it was like one of like the 15 that were good. And it, in my experience, wasn't like amazing. So good that I was like dying to have that cut. But that being said, it was, you know, it was fire. It, was, it wasn't like I would turn it away or pass on it. I guess if it was being smoked and like handed around. You haven't grown it though. No, no. I've just uh, got some buddies locally that used to and no longer do. it all just depends i mean like if, if it's got something that you're looking for if, if somebody's grown it local to you and it has like a different flavor or 
growth pattern or you know yield something that makes it stand out it'd be uh something worth jumping at i guess yeah well, you know, when, people, the... when people tell me strains i just loosely believe that it's what it's what it is it's like tell me about you know everything else besides the strain name <laughs> that's kind of my opinion now i'm so jaded yeah. Yeah, i feel sort of I similarly there's so much phenotypic variation amongst the populations that are sort of labeled as being the strain, same strain that, yeah, just because it's called the same, even if it came from the same breeder, it's not necessarily going to be the same expression. That's for sure. Yeah. So I did want to add that um, Buddy Kilowatt in the chat, who I did gift a grape ape um, a little while ago, he says that he has a bunch of plants. 17 ice cream cakes and one of this grape ape and everything smells like grape. So I guess it turned out very grapey. Um, he won't know how it smokes though for a little while. It's always nice when it actually lives up to the name though, like uh, grape ape and it smells like grapes. Uh, ice cream cake. I, I don't know what that's supposed to smell like, but uh, grape and ice cream cake. I don't know. It seemed like a little bit different. Uh, that's a huge pop. That, that one ice cream cake is like what a lot of the Northern California light depth growers are growing. And there's just like, it was one of the things that was being moved. Like there's just packs of ice cream cake going around. And that was like, there's memes about like, well, I got ice cream cake for 600. I got ice cream cake for a thousand. I got ice cream cake for 1200, whatever it was like, uh, and people basically like undercutting each other with the bound prices. And it was, uh, unfortunate to see sometimes that, that happened in Oregon happens in California happens kind of a little bit everywhere. If everybody gets the same cut, that's why I, personally, I love popping seeds every time, because even if people are growing the same strain, they don't have your pheno and uh the expression from your environment and everything that you put into it so definitely gives you um a, li a little bit of an edge in making your product unique and distinguishable from others is anybody else looking for grapey stuff because if you are let me know because i've got fucking tons of grapey gas with velvet punch that's like the one thing I've got yeah, in my wheelhouse. I've got velvet, I still got some velvet punch seeds because I ended up getting two batches. <laughs> so I got grape covered. You'll have some F3s coming as soon as my F3 testing is finished in-house here. Um, anybody who grew the F2s gets the F3s. So I was just looking at the cut I have, uh, Jack, of that one. The leaves are still crazy serrated. And uh, yeah, when it gets big enough, I'm just going to uh, I'm gonna put it on, you know, put it into flower, take cuts off of it again. Cause that one in particular, I, I don't remember exactly what that one tasted like really. I would guess that there's definitely some grapey notes in there. Most everybody that I sent them to of the people that grew them found lots of grape and it was like either grape or gas or a mix of both somewhere in between. So that was uh, interesting to see from F1 to F2. That was what kept a lot more than the color because my F1s were purple, like way, way sooner and, and just uh, like, more like the total portion of the plant was purple compared to the F2s where I saw some people getting like a mix of green and purple, but it's kind of like streaked purple, but not fully purple kind of, so to speak. So the purple didn't translate as well as I was hoping it would, but the flavor and aroma, and I think the effects, which were more of like a hybrid, not kind of two up or two down kind of uh, shown through for most people. Yeah. I liked all the, all the girls that I ended up with were good there and they're all just a little bit different. The one sample that um, I hypothetically allegedly got from you was um, the sweetest, like on my yeah. spectrum, I thought there was like grape was over here as like the sweetest grapey grape. And then I had like yeah, the my... gassiest and then yours, like watermelon, Fino was like 
overshot my grapey fino of like it was even sweeter than I even thought possible. And it, just a good um, point to see what is possible in other people's gardens outside of your own. Like my garden wasn't able to maybe even produce that expression, but yours definitely right. brought it out. It's weird how it's because, yeah, I've seen that a lot. It's grown a different spot. It looks like a different plant. But um, my one buddy was saying, I love when it was everything. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. My one buddy who who I he checked it out before it was uh you know harvested and stuff. He's like, man, it smells like Smarties. That's what he said. I'm pretty sure. That's what uh, I've always ever since I tried the Jack Spiked Punch, which was also a purple punch cross from Vegan Doja. Uh, when I exhaled, I was like, man, it's got that Smarties flavor like on my tongue, and I just I love that. It kind of it's a good flavor and it is reminiscent and has a good effect along with it as well. So I don't know if it's from that flavor that has a good effect, but it just um seems to be pretty calming and relaxing but so i think spartan said his phenos were more uplifting so yeah it really everybody's chemistry is different yeah and i find it's half and half with me like if people half the time they'll be yep that was the same with me and the other half like i know there's one guy at work it's almost always opposite so if it's sedative for him it's gonna bring me up i don't know that's weird i would wonder if maybe it's just like how your cb1 and cb2 are wired and like what terpenes and cannabinoids stimulate you versus him and things like that i'm sure in, in 20 or 30 years they're going to figure that stuff out when we actually get full federal medical look like licenses to look at this realistically how we should be able to right now it's still kind of yeah. because we're not legal in all 50 states we don't have true medical work being done here in the u.s yeah, and on top of that they don't have actually good quality cannabis that they're using in the test either so that's another big one so that'll be cool and like even their ingestion methods like i've seen this video and a lot of you may have seen it passed around where there's like an old lady who gets like 100 joints a month or something in like a steel like tin and they're from the government like grown in mississippi and it's like really shitty like 15 percent or lower and then it's like ground up and they've just had it like they look at the tins and it's like year old product like several years old in some cases that's kind of what i'm talking about that's the government stuff that the government's getting so that's what they use in their test yeah, I'm sure there's some way that would be able to go. Maybe in legal states, they're able to go. I would dispose now and get it now. I'm not yo, sure how it works. I would venture to guess that the government has the best weed in the world. That they only release the shit. I'm telling you, I bet you money. Uh, I bet no, you the military has. I'll, I'll tell you this from what I've seen. Frank of Gigax, what I've got, seen of government, man. I'd really so, yeah, you're right. Frank, Frank Gigax got yeah. busted, and his in stuff general. tested so much higher than everything else that they were growing. At the time that they started his. taking his cuts, they because when uh, people were getting busted with his shit in the streets, first of all, they're like, "This shit's testing way higher than our most potent shit ever that we had locked up, like their G13 or whatever they had locked away." It's supposed to be the most potent thing ever. They could only get like 15% THC out of it. His stuff was testing 20 to 25% THC. So when he finally got busted, they're like, "What the? F- what is he working with?" And it was honestly that he was growing it better, and he had just mixed the genetics together over and over a few times and found a few winners or whatever. But um. I think it was kind of dumb luck in his situation because he really went from like first time grower to full on warehouses and just like failed a few grows, but was making enough money in his professional life that he was able to like fail those couple times. And then it's like, oh, let's do it this way and optimize it more and more. And at that time, the prices were, you were getting 7,000 plus pound. Uh, You had a lot of wiggle room with the margins there. So yeah, I I don't think the government grows the best cannabis or has access to it. I agree with Spartan. Yeah, I think you probably, well... Breeding is either, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, maybe not directly, but like if they find a a plant that cures cancer immediately or some, I don't know, 
I, there's a lot about a lot about I'll go. I would tend, I would tend to believe that they would destroy it, would not keep it around. I don't that, know. I think that's people more like would, our government. Well, that's perhaps, but I think people are. I like to think it's the opposite. That people would want to get it, if only for their own. Well, that is the know, case. That's the case. Renowned. That's the whole story of cannabis. It would depend on who owned it. Mm. Um, and who could have control and over that enforcement from it but who could enforce that control we're, we're drifting like a ways uh, my point was <laughs> just going to be that you know breeding is a product either like good breeding and successful breeding is either a product of passion and effort and like passion um or it's the the result of sort of a massive scientific research effort um and i don't think that the government has really done either of those towards breeding cannabis the way that you would have to and i'm not surprised that passionate breeders working throughout time could break through those barriers in a better way people that really cared about the plant well and he sourced he he did what i'm doing he stood on the shoulders of giants like vegan doja doja dna who sent me the velvet punch everybody loves to give me credit for it. i didn't do shit i just f2'd it i sent out a bunch of testers to my friends because i asked him if it was okay to do that and he's like yeah sure and then people give me the credit for it but it's like it was somebody else's work with the frank gigax story he was ordering it from neville and neville got work from himself that he he was a breeder of everything from birds when he was a kid to cannabis plants but he worked with like sam the skunk man he worked with ben dronkers and guys over at sensi seeds and um shanti baba so not only was he passionate like dr mj was just talking about and bred for years and years and years and collected genetics from literally all around the world like he went to afghanistan and different countries where he was hand collecting seeds growing them and selecting the best ones out of like giant field grows and uh narrowing it down then he was able to send packs off all over to guys like frank egax who could benefit from his passionate work and i think that's how a lot of growers are that's why i think a lot of people are actually not getting into breeding is they're like i'll, let, I'll leave that to the professionals you know and let the people that are super passionate about that do that and then i'll just grow their fucking fire which i have a lot of respect for that um i think more people should be growing and to put the onus of breeding on top of it is a huge challenge so i'm glad that there are lots of good breeders out there but um, there's also lots of people just taking advantage of the good breeders work and relabeling and uh, stepping on their stuff. So it's good to be diligent, do lots of research always. Do we have any good questions from the chat? Anybody? I haven't seen anybody tag me other than saying hello and cheers. So cheers to everybody in the chat. I saw Crispy Wannabe earlier and uh, Smart Poker, Crack Baby CWC, lots of regulars. Max Grimm and Ruby uh, got his own show, uh, also regular listener. So cheers to everybody else that I didn't mention. SP buds good to see you yeah i've been uh i've been hitting the fucking bong a little bit too quickly i'm already pretty elevated so i'm already doing pretty good i don't know if you guys what are you talking on that orange dream haze it's weird it's um i wonder what i know it's a renamed pheno of it i don't know what the real strain is but it's super orangey not like a clementine orange but like a navel orange and then on the back end it's like pine and it's fucking What's crazy to me is all the other strains I've ever grown that were citrusy that the the terp seems to uh, fade. That citrus terp seems to fade fairly quickly. This thing hangs around forever, so I don't know. That sounds really attractive. Yeah, that's, that's a great trait. I wonder if it's um not just limonene. Maybe there's other like valencine is in, in oranges, so that could be another terpene that's in there, and maybe other like volatiles that are also found in oranges might be sticking around because maybe the limonene is. I know limonene is pretty volatile, but maybe some of the other ones are just a little bit stickier or it's just in a high enough amount that even if you're volatizing, 
half a percent. If you got like 5% to start, you have four and a half percent turps. It's going to be like damage. It's still smells good. Is it one that uh, lasts through the end of the bowl? Like if you hit a bowl a couple times, you can still taste Dude, it. Or a joint? You can, I can put it in a fucking dirty bowl and taste the oranges. And it's fucking man. There's not much I can mm. have. It. You can do that. That's like a Brandon Russ test. He's got some, no offense, Brandon. I love you. You got some dirty ass bongs over there sometimes. At least when I went over <laughs> wow, that, that, the Limerilla, the Limerilla, you could taste it through it. So that's, that's the sign. Like if you have some really dank shit, it's his yeah. line. Come through. His limelights. I got some right here. They're the same way. They fucking go right to the. Well, there's not much left. He's like Honestly, a terpene. It's a great test. Brandon yeah. has the terpiest shit of anybody. Like in person, of anybody that I've come across, his shit is terpier than than anybody. Like if if there's actually a terp king crown, he has the numbers. I haven't seen anybody else test twelve percent terpenes on a single strain of flower. That's pretty crazy. Six uh, percent is pretty regular for him though. The boys in the UK said that uh, that Agent Orange when they smoke that. Then everything after that tastes like oranges, unless they like get crazy clean in it. Oh yeah, it like coats your bong. <laughs> the, the flavor from the Agent Orange is uh, definitely. It, it's interesting how it can do that, but I guess that's why it's you know able to be used in cleaners and things like that. Maybe it's that's gotta... what this is. This guy says an old cut from from Florida. That's all I got from him, and uh, maybe it's an Agent Orange cut. There's a place in Florida called Orange Blossom Trail in the Orlando area where I spent a little bit of time when I met the Lady Greenstock. And um, there's a lot of things other than cannabis that get moved over there, but cannabis is also one of those things. And I think uh, Noah the Groa actually has grown an Orange Blossom strain. Isn't that right, Noah? I think you had a cut called Orange Blossom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was one of my first original strains. I was growing, I guess, like 12 years ago. That, like strawberry ice i had a bunch of just really old school stuff and i kept that orange blossom around for a long time but uh sometimes you just kind of get a little stagnant that's why I'm, you know i got a bunch of new stuff coming down and uh you could you kind of want to just stay you know with the head of the turps and uh what just try something orange, new what was the orange blossom like was it like uh tangerine or real orange or yeah yeah it was and um it was a super super heavy yielder I'll, dude i'll post some pictures i got some buds in there that are so big of that and that's why i kept it around it was a really heavy yielder it was the kind of plant that when you trim it like i mean you literally had to like that like the scissor hash like sticky sticky scissor hash it was a really good strain it just i like that you know too. yeah mm. it, i just got really kind of stagnant I, you know i grew it for shoot maybe nine years or something I was I just going to say, man, you're, you're selling this fucking thing. Why did you get rid of it? Oh, dude, and, listen, and listen, then I gave it back to a friend and then I gave it to a friend and then I got it back. And when I got it back, of course I got thrift and it took me so long. And I finally just got tired of messing with it and cut oh, everything yeah. down and like got close to another guy and started back over here because I just didn't want to mess with it no more. So that was a rough one. I also lost a really good Hawaiian haze plant. The spider mites from getting a freaking LA confidential clone from somebody else. So I will second that. Hey man, getting those clones, especially if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're looking for, that can be a disaster, man. So be careful. Quarantine them. And, and Matthew, what's the, uh, cause I know you have some great videos, um, pest primers for thrips and for spider mites. If you could give like, I usually watch the last, I don't know, minute and a half, two minutes of the video most intently because that's where you're like, the whole rest of the video, you're describing it, how quick it reproduces, what its name is, all that other stuff. But then at the end, you're like, here are the ways to treat it. Uh, <laughs> there's this spray, there's this uh, predator. So I don't know if you have that just like off the top of your head or if you can reference some notes, but for anybody like Noah, who's had a uh, garden lost to thrips and or spider mites, what are the uh, kind of main one-two punches or, or combination? 
I mean, you know me, I like to talk about a bunch of subjects that you can have a more uh, a better reference for things and, and perhaps even be clever because farmers and cultivators are so dang clever if they know what they're dealing with and why and how. But basically, long story short, spider mice. Um, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> um, and also, usually it's just helpful to attack every life stage. And sometimes you got to be a little, you got to change it up a little bit for different ones. That's why they're so successful, right? But spider mice, thrips, Things that can affect both of those things are like those botanical insecticides people like to use. I always like um, I always like to mention things like astractin and pyrethrin and that sort of a thing. But you got to be careful. And whenever I mention pyrethrin in particular, um, there's an understandable concern. But I'm not talking about permethrin. I'm talking about pyrethrin. And I know they sound very similar. And indeed, chemically, they are in similar classes. But one of them is a synthetic, which is permethrin. The other one's pyrethrin, which is a natural compound, but um, it does negatively affect them. You can also use things like sulfur, like I know Spartan loves to use as well. Um, but of course, in flower, not so much. Um, for thrips I, and spider mites, I, I also really like to use predatory mites too, uh, but it's, it's very much more useful if you catch it early um, and you, in, you know, sort of inundate your crops with these mites. For spider mites, I like to use persimilis mites, but there are other spider mite predators you can buy. I just like those the most. I had the best uh, effect with them. And I usually like to put like two to 300 per square meter, whatever that adds up to your situation. And for a home grower, that should be really simple because <laughs> you don't have too many square meters for a lot of people. Um, how, how often, Matthew? Because I know like in IPM setting that those things aren't going to survive I don't know how long they live. How long do they live? Because how long would you have to keep reapplying Persimilis if that was your only IP? I know you're supposed to do more than one, but if you're doing one, and that's Persimilis. And how often would you reapply those? Yeah. Um, so essentially, it really just depends on what you see after, you know, sort of after application. I find that if somebody applies, like, of course, it's a, a factor of, kind of how much foliage you have a little bit and also how many spider mites you're dealing with and so if we use like a proxy like say um let's say one to five mites in a sample of like five leaves on your plant and it's like a mature plant there's a bunch of leaves um let's say you have like a moderate maybe level of spider mites that's going to tick up pretty soon um then i would say like two to three hundred per meter squared is a good amount and then if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, if the temperatures and the humidity is conducive and you're not spraying other things that can disrupt them and that sort of a thing, I would say that you can probably get away with uh, an application of maybe one or maybe even two more after that. It just kind of depends. And if you're dealing with a very small, the smaller the space, the more, um, the more of like a, um, multiplicative effect that the numbers of persimilis is going to have because they're just going to crawl all over that plant and be searching sort of passively so you don't have to spray anything um you know in that in that setting as much for the spider mite specifically for the thrips uh you know you have other options like kakumaris or swirsky which i love to use and you love to use as well um i think uh californicus can also uh, aggress them as well but i tend to like to use the kakumaris and swirsky because at least for cucumbers, it, I think it tends to be a little bit cheaper, although that can definitely uh, vary. Um, and I also like to use about the same amount of them. Oh, dude, it's and, a huge and, difference at Copert. I can I can attest to that for sure. At least the commercial level, 
for the same price that we get all the other predators, which is a hundred of them, for the same exact price, we get 500 of the Cucamaras. <laughs> That's sachets. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Um, actually, you, you brought up a really great point that I didn't even articulate, which is, are we talking about sachets or bulks? With Persimilis, there are bulk or blister packs out there, but there's also, um, and, and people are, are moving to using um, like kind of like a sachet system, which is great, honestly. Um, for a long time, that wasn't really a, a viable option. So that's kind of a new thing if people haven't used biocontrols in a while and they want to try to use them again, that might be a good idea for the Persimilis. And also for the Swirsky and the Calif and the Kumaris, you can use them bulk released or in sachets. I like to use bulk if it's, um, if it's cheaper and you get like this sort of overwhelming number. I like to do that usually. But if you're in flower, uh, strongly recommend against it unless you can apply them into like a cup or some other sort of um, receptacle and then kind of um, place it into the branches or on a hook or something like that so they can crawl out and, and find their way We've got a bunch of those but they're downstairs <laughs> so you could almost like make those little things it's just like a little hanging cardboard box or something like that that just hooks around the plant um, I don't think you need to shell out a bunch of money for it, to be honest. No. Like I know they're they're available, and, and you could get it for simplicity's sake, but I don't know if it's worth the money usually for people. I had a question about uh, applying the actual predators um, that kind of came up as we were talking, and that would be how long after a knockdown spray, whatever. I guess maybe different knockdown sprays would be different, but like if you sprayed sulfur, how long are you going to wait after to apply your predators? And would there be any like risk to apply them like same day, same hour type thing? You know, I've had people who've done it, as you say, where they don't wait and it, and it has worked out for them. But um, I would like to, I usually ideally wait at least three, maybe four days between like a sulfur application, a wettable sulfur application and uh, predatory mites. And people also ask me if you have to like wash off the sulfur. Um, if it's like regular wettable sulfur and it's at the right like levels, um, usually I find that to be, to be fine and not necessary, but, um, sometimes there are complications that are sort of, uh, unique to your context. Um, I think high heat would be probably the biggest one <laughs> in my mind, or Another if you have question. some sort of an adju adjuvant. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Another question I had though, to follow up was you were talking about earlier with like seeing one to five spider mites per leaf you'd apply a roughly 200 per meter, 200 to 300 per meter, I think was what your uh, quote there was. But if you uh, had more than that, if they were more progressed in a later stage, you might, if you're seeing 10 spider mites or 20 spider mites per leaf, is it too late at that point to uh, approach with uh, IPM of um, predators or would you just increase the volume kind of like larger army to defeat the larger number? Yeah, I don't think that it's it's not a, a lost hope. Um, I feel like what really what really it comes down to is like the stage of the plant's maturity. Um, so that's kind of a logistical question. And then also, because um, like I know growers, this is not in a cannabis um, sort of context, but there are definitely people who will apply more persimilis or whatever, like in strawberries are very popularly applied with uh, drones actually. Um, and uh, you know, they'll get like a pretty significant amount for their strawberry plants, but it's really just the long game. You know, you're trying to inoculate them in a, in a large field 
and um, they even go, you know, uh, at a larger level, and they apply them kind of equally. So, in my opinion, I think that even if you had like a greater amount, you might maybe bump it up to four hundred. But uh, at that point, I think it's more, it's less about like the amount you apply at once, as much as it would be like, because you could probably still get away with like two to three hundred per square meter, and then apply it like for sure twice, like just order once. And then like plan to order it again, but look at your plants in the interim and kind of see, you always got to see because you can't just assume that it'll work. I don't mean that because the, the biocontrollers are very finicky, but more so because like there just might be a complication you're not considering. So constant vigilance is essential. I saw an interesting post. It was not cannabis, but I think it was Monsterra. Somebody took a cutting that had thrips attacking it and they put it into an isolated like a pod with just basically peat moss in the bottom and they had like their healthy cuts in there or maybe it was the cut that was eaten up by thrips and then it started growing new healthy stuff that wasn't attacked by the thrips and they just kept it isolated um if you isolate and just trap something in is there a chance that just by isolating it the thrips will basically run their course and not have enough i don't know food or something like i don't know what would have caused them to it didn't seem like they treated it with anything but it just got better by isolating it and putting it in a little container. Yeah, I don't have any um, explanation for that because they're herbivorous and they feed on the plant cells. That was so, kind of my, my thought. I was like, how, what's the mechanism for this working? <laughs> like, it, it just seems like if, if there was a plant in there, it's going to keep eating and reproducing, right? So Maybe they flooded it with CO2. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, perhaps. There's, there's, this, uh, there's this research report I remember reading a long time ago where um, it was about mealybugs and they called it, um, I think they called it like uh, insecticide-induced stupefaction, you know, like to be stupefied. And apparently, if I'm remembering right, apparently the insecticidal agent basically slows down their metabolism or something, or maybe they're using CO2 and that's why I'm remi remembered of this, but they did something that slowed down the metabolism and then the toxin that they were trying to use actually was less effective because it's like trying to put somebody into a catatonic state, like after like venom, for example. So like it slows their heart rate, you know, so it doesn't move around their body as much. And uh, that was just a funny name. So you've reminded me that, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember the details, but anyways. <laughs> that is interesting. It makes sense though. Like if, if you're not as active, it's not gonna cycle through you as quickly and then it won't be as effective doing what it's doing. Uh, another girl, you've got your hand up over there. And, uh... Yeah, I just wanted to ask Matthew, what would you recommend? Uh, a buddy of mine asked me this the other day, and I, I should ask while we're on the subject. Uh, what would you recommend for thrips in like a flower mode room? You know what I mean? Like something that you couldn't really spray a whole lot. So some of these bio uh, stuff you were talking about, or is there something in particular you would like recommend? Yeah, definitely the bios. Um, and a big part of that really just comes down to not only because you, you don't want to foul your flower, but also because um, coverage is so important. And I, and I should probably make a video or something about it, sort of addressing this more precisely, but like the number one problem with uh, applying any sort of a pesticidal agent is first of all, did you use the right kind? But second of all, right after that is, did you get the coverage? And so with biocontrols, you can kind of eliminate that to a degree, as long as you apply the right amount. And I like to use like cucumeris, for example, for, for the Western flower thrips, which are super common um, on cannabis. 
because they can get in all, all the little nooks and crannies. And I think it's specifically for Western flower thrips and other similar thrips, they actually, um, they lay their eggs in the plant tissue, not on top of it. So um, I've talked about this before, but basically thrips are super good at getting into different plants uh, globally, horticulturally. The horticulture and agriculture trades are the reason why these thrips are, some of them anyways, have gotten to be so common and uh, exposed to so many different environments. And that's part of the reason they can put the egg in the plant and, or like a clone or a cutting and everything looks fine. And then, uh, you know, a few days later, a week later or whatever, uh, suddenly you have thrips and there's no explanation, but that's the explanation. Uh, or it came outside, you know, that's also a possibility, but that happens too. Matthew, will any of the, um, the soil biocontrols help with thrips at all? Um, you know, like, for example, like in Mimia nematode or, uh, you know, Stradiolopus simitus or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> or, Absolutely. And I think that okay. gets back to what we were saying earlier about the life stages, if you can attack them. Because I like the cucumbers because they will stay in the foliage and they'll also sometimes go, believe it or not, they're actually considered a soil predator um, oh, wow. or a leaf litter predator. That. Yeah, but they love the foliage and they also love the, the litter. So they'll go up and down. But the stradiolalabs or the hypoaspis predatory mites, um, they're great because they'll also go after the pupae when they fall down into the soil or onto the ground. Um, nematodes are also really good. I've heard in some cases people use them, not necessarily in cannabis, but uh, in, into foliage. But there's some, um, there's some wow, tricky really? ways to do that. I don't like to use it personally this way. I don't think it's the most effective <laughs> for sure. But uh, you can apply it into the substrate. And... Um, and really lock down not just thrift pupae but also uh, fungus dent larvae. So that'd be like the Steiner Nema Felicier, those SF nematodes are really great for that kind of a thing. Yeah, we apply them like every two weeks. And yeah, right. Like it's just worth yeah. it, is in my opinion. They're so cheap. Yeah, they're definitely. Yeah, Matthew, you get like billions. Yes. Is there uh, any particular beneficial that is bad to overapply, or is it uh, for any reason? I'm trying to think, like. Um, I mean, I would say that maybe not necessarily as like a target, like that it would like harm your plants as much, but just um, your pocketbook. Huh? I said just your pocketbook. Your po cost. Yeah, your pocket. Cost your is pocketbook. the only reason. A pocketbook is a big one, but I would also, you know, I take the, the time to say a little bit about the environment and how, even though my beloved Bouveria fungal pathogen, which I love to use for so many things, you know, if you're not careful, I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous in the environment and it's a cosmopolitan species, but I still feel like people should be careful to apply biocontrols. If you overapply them, yes, it'll be really expensive and not necessary, but you might also like, you could have negative effects on the local ecology. It's not impossible. It's not outlandish to say that. Um, I'm not trying to say that people using biocontrols are um, hurting the environment. And in fact, a lot of times it's better than using a chemical agent, but um, you know, still within reason is probably best. Everything with moderation, right? And I had to laugh at the chat for a little bit because Aldi, I think informally Aldrich25 said, he, you have to take up his tech for IPM, which is going to the garden straight from the shower. No towel, buck naked, in your birthday suit, just uh, getting in there. Not going to bring anything into the garden like that. So uh, cheers, Aldi. That was an interesting comment. Then that, so. that, I think I like this is an interesting um, IPM I like from Thunder Dam. Thunder Dan says, I like sacrificing different bugs in front of the Thunderdome so all the other bugs know it's not a safe place for them, Aztec style. 
I'm liking you that. You got to get a, uh, well, you got to like get a spider right in the corner and you just fling the bugs into the web. And it's like a, you know, it's there you uh, go. <laughs> there you go. I feel like a sticky trap is kind of like that, you know, if like they start seeing enough of them die on that car. They're like, oh, shit, this isn't a fun place to hang around. I, I saw a video um, from the I think the Rockdam Institute or whatever um, in, on YouTube and uh, from 10 years ago. But it was uh, an aphid alarm pheromone and they secreted it on a leaf where all these aphids were on. They like immediately started to like get out of the leaf and like just move around and like get, get away from it. And it was like instantly. And, um, you know, there's probably some, some uh, beneficial effect we could get from that, potentially. Animals are definitely highly impacted by pheromones. My cat just had an emergency and it had to go to the vet. And the other cat, who's its litter mate, they've lived with each other for four years, is now, like, rejecting that cat since it came home. And my mother-in-law is like, you know, it's probably because all those stressed out pheromones from those other cats and animals and shit that kind of gather on that pet when it goes to the vet and comes home. And the other one smells it and it's like, that's not the fucking thing i know and it freaks it out but we have a good question from the chat from we never killed kenny uh great name i love that sheep home grow what is the panel's opinion on breeders doing line breeding do you guys think it will get more popular in the future or will it be more polyhybrid breeding like it is now i think in the short term we're going to see a lot of polyhybrid breeding i think most people i actually got like flamed on twitter for asking the question i was like this person's like how much should you charge for an f1 and i was like well, are you talking about an actual F1 or like a polyhybrid, like a first cross? And, Ooh. you know, I was, I was legitimately That's a good question. No, because it's I'm a like, great question. It's a different thing that you're buying, yeah. right? If you, if you get like an Afghani cross to a tie versus like a cookie cross to a cookie, it, you can call them both F1s, but you're getting a very different product. So like, right. I was actually, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just like, but like they didn't consider that like there is anything like corn breeding where you could get it to be like an inbred line and then actually have true f1s like to them an f1 is anything that you took initial cross one to the other so and if you look into it 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 becomes a semantic argument right how do you want to define filial breeding and um, some people don't define it as like how corn breeders do Um, so it just depends on which circle you're in so yeah there's i mean there's reasons to do line breeding and and there's i mean to the extent that we're ever going to have sort of stable strains that like getting back to the earlier point we made about, you know, knowing the strain name doesn't tell you really a lot. Um, that kind of stability comes from working a line um, either th- through inbreeding the line or through, you know, open pollination. Um so there's a reason for that. There's a, a short-term gain usually from hybridizing, sort of regardless whether they're they're true sort of you know separate lines that you're crossing or just other hybrids that you're crossing. And so in the short term, I think it's always easier to go the polyhybridization route. Um, getting stable lines to do any kind of breeding with requires a big investment in time. And the payout, if there is any, is is much longer down the road. So I think that that's one of the obstacles. But I do think that there's there's significant payouts potentially be achieved by dedicated research in, in line breeding in cannabis and then crossing those lines. I think because this is such a new burgeoning industry and there's going to be more and more interest in it, there's going to be such a huge demand for seed that it's going to continue because of that demand. 
this what's going on now is just going to increase i think for a while there's still people that are doing line breeding though look at dj short how how far is his blueberry now at least past that five yeah he f4 but he he like kind of breeds with the f4 male two. He, he split into two lines too two work lines at the same time i guess right so he basically did kind of like some pe- people do they put in like a decade of work into like making a male and like making a few lines and then right. like he keeps that male and then reproduces a, a stable seed line from there that people want which is blueberry and flow as his main ones but he's got other ones out there too so yeah so i think it's going to continue kind of like that you're going to see your probably 10 percent of breeders doing things like that because it's just a passion project to them and they're, you know, they seem already established in the market and they don't really need to, but there's going to be a million Instagram breeders out there throwing two things together and calling it whatever. And not to say that that can't be fire too. Like Masonic it can be fire. Masonic people like love, love him and hate him. He, uh, in my understanding of the situation kind of got famous for his memes and then people started buying his seats. He literally crossed his male Wilson to everything. Like his ideology is Wilson x fucking everything literally he just gets every single cut he can get his hands on he's like i want to see how wilson works with everything and puts it out there and people some people find really fire stuff a lot of people do find intersex traits uh, and complain and like maybe i'll just block them and like meme on them and like i don't think it's a the healthiest back and forth necessarily all the time but uh i do think that he's built a big name for himself and a lot of people respect him as like a high up there breeder and he basically started with just like a male in his backyard in Compton hitting every single clone that he could get at every single dispensary he could go to. So um, that's one end of the spectrum. And then you've got like the DJ shorts yeah. and like the vegan dojas who put like a decade in and like you don't hear anything until their stuff is like worked to the way that they want it and put it out. Um, and there's going to be everything in between. I'm, I'm totally with you at Spartan. We're going to see more of both. We're going to see more people like copycats who are just going to take the exact same strain, call it the same thing under their banner and then there are going to be people that, that change the name. You could hear my cats hissing in the background. Sorry about that. I was just talking about the pheromone. So uh, we're reintegrating <laughs> them slowly. Uh, it's fitting. She's listening to the conversation. She's getting pissed about it. She doesn't like hearing about breeders like that. She's like, yeah, I don't like those copycats. Fuck them. Go, go with the real breeders. Pay a little extra. Get the Amy Aces from Tao, not from some European seed bank that claims they have Amy Aces. To me, it's like a big, it's, it's like a, I've been reading a lot about things like um, social proof and I always find that kind of stuff fascinating and like um, because it's the dark arts marketing and how that kind of comes into play. Um, Admittedly, I am not a guru about that sort of a thing, but I definitely feel like it's a certain point. People don't even have to do that. It it seems like certainly it's been my experience that um, for a lot of people, as long as you have like a really cool name and some cool graphics and maybe some level of like notoriety uh there's going to be a selection of people who will uh maybe enjoy your particular niche and um you know none of that that we're talking about even enters into the equation which to me is unfortunate but i get it i guess well like the marketing angle yeah, well, I mean, like, because also a lot of these p- people that we're talking about, they have a social media presence to right. some degree. And um, so much of so much of the, the sort of culture and community, I feel like is um, 
Well, I mean, people don't necessarily understand how breeding works even. So they're really kind of relying on other people who are selling them stuff as a proxy. And you and I have both talked about that at length, about how that there are some uh, inherent problems with that. Um, so, I mean, but people don't really care. Uh, yeah, the consumer's, not, the consumer's yeah. not terribly educated. I mean, that's all of us, basically, right? To be um, honest. In, in terms of what, what we should be getting, and the sample sizes are always small. It, it's it's weird. I mean, I think with a lot of other products, if you tried to came to market with something and said that it was, you know, one product and there was as much actual variation in the product, um, you know, in the consumer's experience, it, that that would blow back. But there's there's reasons that it never does in cannabis seed marketing in particular. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating and also kind of like, to me, a little bit scary. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right adjective, but um, it definitely, uh, I don't know. I feel like it, it opens you up to being misled quite a bit. And yeah. um, and there's some breeders that, that do mislead intentionally. And there's other breeders, I think, that mislead just because they also don't fully understand sort of what's going on. There's not a, a huge barrier to entry in, in that game. Well, I Very think there's true. there's people that are like optimistic and like maybe something grows really well in their environment. And they're going to say, ideally, you could harvest this or eight weeks because like it might look ready or look done or maybe they've harvested it once there and, and consumed it and they were happy with that product right but maybe somebody else wouldn't be or, or uh, like i'm exactly. thinking of the example of selling s selfs right s ones and you know oftentimes the the customer is is led to believe that it's the same um it'll be the it's same, be type same. Of plant yeah. that the parent would be and sometimes I think the breeder knows better and lets the customer believe that anyways. And other times I don't think the breeder really knows better. I think the breeder is also under that impression. Um, so with a lot of issues like that, it's uh, both the consumers and, and the vendors are often amateurs at, at it. So yeah, the, con the consumers are letting um like they don't care if there's harms. I've heard people say, I don't care if there's harms in the pack. I'll either cut them down or pluck off the male flowers. I would never want that. My, you know, I don't, yeah, that don't work. Yeah. Matthew, I have a quick question for you that I think you could answer. Uh-oh. He's just teasing you. <laughs> but the question fell into the dark hole. This, yeah. <laughs> they don't want us to know. <laughs> Did I freeze? <laughs> Fuck. You froze. you froze. You're back now. All right. It says the, in <laughs> the oh, internet does not want you to say the question, man. You're being you talk, you freeze, His man. name is Truth uh, Serum, too. So, you know, it's a good one. Oh, say, I, I already, uh, uh, I think I answered that question already, Jack. Was it in chat or was it on the actual podcast? Oh, in chat. Okay. Wait, so, just, just question? for, for the listeners, Truth Serum says, How much is too much diatomaceous earth? I just started using it. Yeah, and then further down, he says that um, he's they're using it in uh, uh, their topsoil. And uh, in my experience, diatomaceous earth, like if it gets moist, it, it degrades and isn't effective in the way it's supposed to be. So the reason why diatomaceous earth works the way that it does is that it's so diatoms in the ocean have a silicon sort of like shell. So we've taken that shell and we've broken it up into like glass shards, essentially. And so when the, the exoskeleton of an insect or whatever, you know, moves across it, 
those shards pierce kind of like a suit and armor sort of situation where you know you can't pierce through the armor as easy as you can pierce through like the armpit or the wrist or wherever where the joints are and so that's really problematic for something with an armor sort of body type and uh, it discourages or damages and otherwise degrades pest ingress but if it gets moist then that doesn't happen so I mean, I don't think you have a toxicological concern to worry about as much as like a logistical one. That's why people usually use it uh, like kind of on like a dry surface, like where you expect ants to come in through a crack or something like that. Like around your pots rather than in them. Yeah, but I've had many people say that they apply it to their um, their, their substrate and that it has uh, seemingly worked out well for them. Yeah, um, but I don't. Water, I don't have been bottom water that way. But you know, there's ways around it. You bottom. People water. use sand too. They'll use a yes. layer of sand to create like a mulch, and then they'll top the sand with diatomaceous earth because then they're physically going to have to like crawl through the sand to get to your media. And if it's dry sand with diatomaceous earth, they're going to rip their like shoulders and hands and okay. stuff off while they're trying to dig. Essentially, she said, like, okay. Also, she wanted to make sure you know it was a she, and she says she's letting the soil dry out and then applying. For ants, <laughs> literally hit ants. Well, there you go. So yeah, yeah go around so the pot as well, though, especially ants because they're they're crawling in that way. So go around the pot also. You don't have to worry about that being ineffective because it can stay dry, hopefully. Yeah, I definitely agree with that recommendation. And also, um, you know, of course, be careful because like uh, I've definitely seen it where ants will like because the scouts aren't really communicating with each other, so they're just finding a way. Um, so they can get onto the foliage from another location or from something, some other material. And um, that's definitely happened before too. So yeah, yeah, just be careful if like your foliage is touching because they might be able to move across it that way. So we have a follow-up question if uh, we feel like we sufficiently answered that, which I, I do think that we did. Um, they say, uh, I don't even get who it was from, but, oh, it was from, uh, God, it's like a real weird one to pronounce Earl something, uh, but Aldi re-recommended it. So another viewer re-requested this question gets answered. So what are five things a learning grower can do to increase yield and reduce plant stress, uh, plant and personal? <laughs> so I guess since there are six of us, you'll get six things. We'll all give at least one thing that you can do. And I'll pass it first to Spartan. Oh, thank God. Make it easy. Uh, I'm going to say vapor pressure deficit, man. Look into vapor pressure deficit. And what that does is it kind of forces you to make sure that the environment around the plant is uh, in such a way to where the plant can transpire enough to, to get to your goal, to get, if when your plant transpires, that's how it can build mass. That's what you're wanting it to do. So follow the VPD and try to stay within your targets on VPD. And that's going to that's the biggest kind of new, new science kind of uh, when it comes to home growing is the VPD. And there's a, tons of information out there, so I won't bore you with it, but uh, look into VPD, vapor pressure deficit. Good general starting place to get the environment dialed in. Uh, Noah, do you have any tips? The question again was, what are five things a learning grower can do to increase yield or reduce plant stress? Noah. Well, I, I always tell everybody that the first thing when somebody tells me they have some type of issue in their garden, I'll go go just flat out environment. Uh, you got to get your humidity. You got to get your temperature right. 
you want your, your flower temperature to be, you know, unless you have CO2 or something, you want it to be, you know, mid seventies or lower, you know, you want your humidity to be like 45 or lower in flower. So those would be the two that, that I mean, once I got my, my stuff on the control, my garden was 10 times better. So that's what I would say. If I was wanting my yield to go up and I wanted something to do in flower, I'd make sure that my environment was right. Good advice. Uh, also kind of echoes what Spartan was uh, hinting at. So maybe it doubles down on why it's so important, but uh, the American one, maybe you could tack on. All right. So we want to increase yield and uh, lower plant, plant stress. Or my... stress. <laughs> they say plant and personal in parentheses. Okay. So. All right. Well, there you go. So my, my advice would be be realistic and be logistic with your numbers of your plants because Personally, I start way too many. I take way too many cuts and I don't have the room for them. So the plant starts to stress. And when the plant starts to stress, you start to stress. And then it, it kind of can start a snowball effect, which you don't want. So first off, you should like know your areas and how much how many plants you want to put in. And what's his face? Medicrapper. I saw this. Medicrapper brought this up once and uh, I'll give him credit. It's just simple fucking math. If you need 100 plants, you know, you got to prepare to have 100 plants ready for when you need them. And you just, you know, do the math, how long it takes to make the cuts and all that. But I'm digressing. So, yeah, just be realistic with um, the numbers, I think, is my advice to uh, our learning grow. Because especially when you when you first start and then you get that, you're like, you're all excited, you get crazy. Well, and I, I, it never left me. I get crazy all the time. So, yeah, I'm trying to reel that in. Tal always wants more plants and more space. That is great advice. Yeah, I mean, don't take on more than you can handle. You can keep the plants way happier if they're in a happy environment, which, so what happens is you have an army and you only, or whatever, a stadium, and you only have enough room for to keep the real plants happy. You know, there's a, there's a certain area that they're happy. Then we have extra ones. You put them on the outside and they, they keep going further and further out and they get less and less love and, light and then they start to suffer and they get stressed so yeah you go in there and you chop their heads off make them clones and you reset them all right well then much better (laughs) if the the one way on the outside you got to get it better to take cuts off of it because you can't be taking ugly cuts so yeah so yeah I'm, i'm working on that all the time it's funny you say that the american one because i know uh when i taught my barber to grow it was on a very personal scale just like a, a tent and then a small veg area um and when he had some buddies who have a larger kind of more commercial operation in the grayish market here they have a bunch of lights and like a huge operation and he asked him he's like oh so like where's your like head stash where's like the personal stuff like the good shit for yourself like this is like the you know commercial area right but like do you have like a, a strain that maybe like flowers longer and the dude was like offended because he's like this is all a fucking head. So he, he looked at it all he believed that even though he was commercial everything was like still craft but my barber right. who was growing it himself he's like i'm fucking new at this but my shit is looking better than yours so like yeah <laughs> it was just so funny to to me that he he wasn't trying to be mean but that just was truly how he felt i guess and it, it shows that like what the american one said is great advice because if you take on too much and you can't handle it your quality is going to suffer where if you just keep it a little bit more uh, attainable scale you can have happier plants that will produce more and, and better quality so even in a smaller space with a fewer number if that's what you can handle that's what you can handle but i want to pass yeah. it next to uh dr mj and ask uh if you could add on we're trying to get to five we've got three so far 
Got three so far. I, I mean, I could do more than one, but uh, my one, you know, five things to increase yield. The, the yield comes from the light. So making sure that you have adequate light and that the light is sort of well distributed across the space. Um, the, the quantity of light is more important than any of the qualities of light necessarily, especially when you're already dealing with grow lights. Um, but a lot of growers will sort of, especially if you're underlit, you're gonna you're gonna just not be able to reach the potential, and you're not gonna be able to get as good of quality buds if your densities aren't high enough. Um, so that would be my one thing. But that's huge. I'll let, I'll let Matthew go. You definitely can't get around the uh, physics of it, right? I mean, there's there has to be light to create the energy to make the plants grow. So that's a huge Yeah, volume. exactly. I mean, the, the yield comes from the light. So there's a direct relationship there. And you can't just keep increasing the light either. There's a maximum amount of light that the plants can harvest, but you want to be operating in that range sort of the maximum production range between 700, 800 PPFD, somewhere in there at all points in the canopy um, to really sort of maximize the, the production in that space. That's a great point. And um, I guess for number five, I'll pass it over to Matthew Gates. And so the original question was, how do you reduce stress for yourself and also the plant, right? And then also, or, and, or increase yield. So it's kind of like a two-parter. What are five oh, ways sure. you can increase yield while reducing stress of the plants and yourself? Well, you know, I, um, I just posted on my Instagram about uh, a paper that talked about spider mites and how they're colonization of cannabis plants increased quite a bit um, uh, various terpene um, content in the plants that were experimented on. Not that I'm saying you should, uh, you know, use them in this capacity, but I think it speaks to a point that um, one thing that you can do uh, to increase yield by which I mean of the, the compounds that you're trying to get cannabinoids too were affected um, is to sort of prime the immune system potentially. Now, to be honest, um, there's various ways you can do that. And you got to be careful because even something that seems innocuous can have a, a negative effect on certain pests or rather on your plant's ability to uh, grow in certain ways, because what you're doing is you're essentially making the plant through their reception of those compounds that will, that will prime them. Um, you're making it go and grow in one direction instead of growing in another direction. So defense related versus like, or differentiation, you might say, versus like, um, um, you know, like actual vegetative growth and that kind of a thing. Um, so there's a trade-off there, but uh, if you're trying to prime against something that you're gonna have a negative effect with, or if you're just trying to get the plant to produce defense compounds that you also enjoy, like terpenes and cannabinoids and such, um, then that's something that you can do potentially. And then also to reduce stress, uh, simply going into your plants, and this is an easy one, just looking at them, uh, take samples, take random samples. If you have a few plants, take samples from all of them. Look into the foliage, look at the soil, into the, into the branches, into the leaves, um, you know, become very familiar and um, don't assume that your, you know, your cultivation space is Fort Knox because it's probably not, even if you're pretty sure that it is. And it's a dangerous mindset to have, even if you are actually well defended. And that's true for a lot of things. Great point. I think it's funny that that paper you quoted about the spider mites increasing uh, certain terpenes is definitely going to get passed around because Miss Nudie Grows told me when she was working at some of these LPs in Canada 
they were quoting similar papers about thrips and how thrips can potentially increase their cannabinoids or terpenes, things like that. She's like, yeah, but every single operation that I saw that worked at that had thrips and they like weren't working too hard to get rid of it. It was killing their yields. Their plants were not testing well. Uh, and just generally, they, she's had much more success with having IPM implemented in healthy gardens. So cheers to Miss Nitty Grow as a former panelist and always badass Canadian up there, just uh, crushing it in the commercial cannabis space. So it it's interesting to know that I think almost like Dr. MJ cautions people whenever I bring up the drought stress study, rightfully, um, I think it's important to caution people of the spider mites increasing terpenes because then you're going to have some people that are going to like push and just be like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. I got spider mites. I'm going to let them go. It'll increase my terps. I heard about it. Right? Please what don't be uh... spider mites. Please don't Please. be spider mites, people. We don't want spider mites. It no, is, it's uh... not. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you want to... Hold on a second. That's really a thing? <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> it is if you work at an insectary. Um, but yeah, definitely prime. Your, get the, you know, get the milk for free. Don't buy the cow, right? Don't get the spider mites in your plant prime it with various compounds or um, there are substances out there on the market that people like to use like a chitin and chitosan and that sort of a thing. Um, Matthew, what honestly, do you think? I have, I have a theory and I told the guys at work and I said, when we're hanging these sachets on our plants or releasing these predator mites that I think that they can stimulate the plants just like another pest. How would the plant be able to tell the difference other than when it starts getting fed on, I suppose? No, that's a great point. That's, that's how exactly it exactly gets into what I was going to say. I love that you asked that question. So basically they can't tell the difference. That's why beneficial organisms. Um, I mean, I could go into a, a long sort of dialogue about what that means or monologue rather, but I won't, but basically like beneficial fungi, beneficial bacteria, and even beneficial predatory mites, they're walking around, you know, they're, um, you know, they're, they're doing various things and some like parts of their body, you know, just like yourself, there's detritus that falls off of your skin and, 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 um, hair and other sorts of things like that, that we don't think about, um, and oils on our skin and stuff, but those have, those are basically indicators. And so a plant, when it gets exposed to these fungi or other organisms, it will, the plant cells will go, Oh, that's chitin. Um, I, you know, and so that creates a response, a signal response that will boost the immune system or immune signaling cer through certain pathways. And it's a lot of gobbledygook. It's or, very or in a living soil situation or organic situation, you might attract just having chitin around, you might attract some kind of microbe that's going to start breaking down chitin with some chitinase. And now you've got fucking basically acid for fucking insects. I think that's awesome. Well, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to, um, yeah, like, so like when they die eventually, right, they, they serve their purpose, they reproduce, they die in your soil, and then organisms that are gonna, that, that are able to do that, like you just said, will break those body parts down, and like you say, they gotta, they gotta use a chitinolytic compound or enzyme or whatever to break that down, and then like you say, your, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for, your, <laughs> you're allowing them to continue in your in your in your soil and in your environment which is honestly what you want yeah it's like a food source for something that eats chitin and that's a good thing because you want something that eats chitin around even some fungi right even some fungi go after chitin absolutely um and i was sort of illustrating the point that like the idea of like a pest or a non-pest is sort of um very contextual where like they were showing like uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago the rhizophagus irregularis, so that that uh, mycorrhiza, 
it was able to mine, um, was it nitrogen or phosphorus? I forget from a chitin. It was able to do that, but it was only able to really do that when there are other two microbes, a bacteria and a protozoa, if I remember right. And through their combined efforts, they were able to like up the, the content like 70 or 65% more for the plant. And that was like pretty amazing. So it's all about the right combination. Yeah. And I think that's wild. It's like, when I hear things like that, it's like, that's why we'll never fully understand what the fuck is going on because it blows my mind. Just, just something like that. How could you happenstance to find, figure that out? Let it replicate that a billion different times. Right. You try and do that in vitro. You wouldn't even put those organisms together properly. Probably they must've found it in nature. Right. Matthew. Well, this was an experiment. I don't think that they found this process in nature first, but I don't really uh, remember because, you know, they could have they could have actually observed something like that and then did their own experiment with right. different organisms. But I think that the the theory is helpful to know. But I think that the idea that you would be able to, like, open up your tricorder and like scan your soil sphere or whatever and be like, oh, the tricorder says that I have, you know, this. <laughs> this amount of colony of bacteria and this amount of fungi, I think is maybe a little uh, far-fetched. A little uh, but if you... Fungi yeah. blew me away the other day. I was hiking and I've seen these rocks and I, I thought there was like chalk on them or something or like bird shit or something. It was like a bright white substance growing on these rocks. And I looked closer and it was actually a fungi just growing on rock, like dense, just like kind of there's grass and things around it, but it's on like a trail where it's mostly like stones and it wasn't right next to like a bush. It wasn't anything. lichen, was it? Perhaps, I don't know. But there was ants feeding on it. When I looked up Ooh. at it, there was like ants eating the fungi and like moving oh, it and working with it. Or maybe they're being parasitized by it. Who knows? So the one thing that I didn't, I could be the number six to add on to the question earlier. Um, and we talked about it at the beginning of the show quite a bit. One thing you can do to increase your yield and reduce your stress, both on the plant and personally, is pick out some genetics. Do some research and find some genetics that are going to be easy to grow. Um, you could say for your environment, but you, like everybody else said, you kind of want to dial your environment in. So it's relatively in that happy place where cannabis is going to grow. And then when you get to that space, you have the options, depending on where you live. I live in California. You can go and buy whatever clone from the dispensary. You might think, oh, well, this one's popular and hot. And I heard about it on that show, like jealousy or cookies or whatever. A lot of those don't love like light, even at the levels Dr. MJ recommended, which are great level 700, 800 PPFD. But if you gave it to them, some of them will get stunted and yield terribly. And you have to really dial it in where like other things you can just kind of like overfeed it, give it a ton of light and it's going to yield well. It's going to smoke well and get you a lot of product to get you started at least. So I would do research and try and find uh, genetics that a lot of people have had success with. Like I'm not going to name any individual one, but look around at what the people are growing, what the people are continuing to grow, like and having success with themselves and ask them about what they like and dislike and other breeders they may have tried and try and find a good genetic source that will set you up on the path to be successful because if you're going in with something that's hard to grow then you're going to give yourself a lot more challenges than you want and uh there's a lot of like out there but don't be like i guess um it's easy to be like machismo or, or at least like when i started growing again i saw like these labels they're like this is for a beginner grower and this is for like an expert grower and don't be like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm an expert. Blah, blah, blah. Like I'm not going to be dissuaded by this label. Like sometimes they're actually going to be harder to grow. And if you don't have your shit dialed in yet, then don't get the expert or difficult or whatever. If they give you that option or labeling, 
listen to them and, and try and find the one that says, this is good for beginners. This yields well, this is resistant to molds or mildews or whatever, and try and find other people to corroborate that. that said, Hey, I grew it and got good yields and good terpenes and didn't have molds and mildews and X, Y, or Z environment that's similar to yours. So that'd be my Honestly, tip. I trust that more than any, anything, anything on a box, anything I read. If I have a buddy, somebody from the Michigan Bros Growth Show says, yo, I, I grew this and it was great. I trust that more than I trust any of the other bullshit. Even the breeder. I mean, like we were talking Even about last breeder. week, you can't, you can't trust like the person who's selling the thing. Obviously they're financially motivated to tell you everything you want to hear to buy it. But when somebody else who put their hard work and money and, and time into something can say, Hey, I grew this. And like, I'm not being paid to say this. Like, I just really like this one over these other ones. Then it's probably a good place to start looking. You know, in my experience, when I've seen the like expert seeds or whatever that label applied to it, like this is harder to grow. It's usually, I think, to cover up for not being very stable genetics or, or being prone to herm or being other potential problems in it. And labeling it that way sort of is a, a clever way to cover up the problems, preemptively blame the grower should anything go wrong, and potentially even sort of add an appeal to the, the product itself because growers are like, I want the expert strain. So I definitely don't think that that means it's better. I think that that means the breeder still has work to do to make that strain more stable or, or to make that strain sort of more vigorous or whatever else. I mean, yeah. the maybe it's just a little runty because it's just kind of, uh, you know, not the best genetics. So I, I would definitely like think about unruly. it that way. Like if it grows too big, like the Blue Dream Femmes that I got from HSO, they, they said it's going to stretch a bunch, blah, blah, blah. And you can, uh, you know, take their word for it or whatever. And then you actually try and grow it and it four X's it's veg height or whatever. And you're sitting there like, Oh shit. Like this thing is a lot to wrangle. Um, but those are things I guess you can learn and, and clone and deal with it or plan for it. Yeah. But that's what I, that's what pops into my, just what Dr. Cook was talking about. Like when I see that, when I see expert to me, that means, Oh, that's a pain in the ass to grow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I yeah. Look out. Why would I, why would I <laughs> flag? I don't like need any flag. of that bullshit in my tent. Like, no, expert, what are you talking about? That means that it's probably going to harm Don't on. you want to buy the cool, hard mode, extreme, exclusive, yeah, no. elite seed? I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, though, to give some legitimacy to it. Like, a Corvette's not the easiest car to drive. Like, some of these older yeah. naturally aspirated cars, like, there's a little bit more, it's more difficult to drive, but you can get a lot of performance out of something like that. As a See, I, I really think like that's cookie. what they're trying to, that's the analogy they're going for, Jack. And I think that that's the analogy that a lot of growers sort of buy into. Like, oh, if it's harder to grow, that must be better. Like, a, like a sports car is harder to drive, that must be, like, better car to drive or whatever. I think that that analogy is, is mm, it may hold true in a few examples, but I think, by and large, it's, it's not. It's sort of connected like that um i think the expert strains are just like spartan is saying harder to grow um bigger pains in the butt and it, it's a way that a breeder can bring to market a strain that's not yet ready and not be sort of like blamed for it themselves like when everybody has a bad experience the breeder can just say oh yeah you know i said it was an expert strain like, I, guess, <laughs> I guess you're not an expert grower sorry but like oh yes oh, they i was gonna finish my comparison enough. by saying like a sports car they're both flashy and problematic right like yeah, yeah. cookie strain it's flashy and it's it's got a lot of appeal like a ferrari they're flashy and they have a lot of appeal but they also have lots of problems and like they tend to hurt me a lot and i will say i i love forum cut girl scout cookie it's great medicine for me but i found other crosses of it and i found other strains that also have high amounts of humulene and beta caryophyllene which were the terpenes in there that i found to be medically therapeutic for like my arthritis 
and I found other like cherry pie as another cookie lineage strain that was terrible yielding, has tons of Hermes, but it helped me sleep. And for a while, that was like a go-to for me. And it, my the cut that we had didn't Herm, but a lot of people have cherry pies at Herm. And ultimately, I ended up losing that, but I wasn't devastated because I went on to find CBN. CBN is super sedative, and I can get it at, at scale from hemp growers for very low, cheaper than I could produce it myself, or I can make high CBN RSO, which I do a little bit of both. And I don't need that strain necessarily anymore. So the education process is definitely important. Um, but yeah, I think that there is a, a balance because like I do believe like there's good breeders out there like Duke Diamond who says, you know, I've worked this strain as much as I can, but it still has some Hermes right. and he'll, he'll put it out there. He'll sell it for less and he'll warn you about it. Um, but then there's other breeders that are like, this is an expert strain. Like those are usually like European seed banks that have purple punch cookies and every single strain that you've ever heard of. And they're selling all of them. Right. Like if, if that person is telling you like expert versus beginner, and that's a little bit different than like a guy who's got like a whole uh, stable of his own genetics that he's personally made and worked and can tell you this one is actually rock solid. It's not going to hurt on you at all versus this one over here might, but this one has this different flavor or high or, or growth pattern that you might be looking for. So it might be worth maybe hunting through like Tao said, some people are like, fuck it, I'll just chop the herms and keep the good ones. And um, unfortunately, I think that keeps a lot higher intersex uh, numbers within this polyhybrid F1 breeding that we're seeing a lot of like that earlier question sort of kind of alluded to. I'll say it hasn't changed too much in the last like 20, 30 years. Like there's been just tons and tons and tons of polyhybrid. We've had more and more science every year and there are groups you've got like, I think most of it's actually being done in hemp because it can be legally like Oregon CBD where they're doing genetic testing, terpene testing, all of that stuff for different chemotypes, phenotypes, uh, genotypes, everything. They're like scientifically labeling everything down to the, but then you've got like people that are just passionate breeders. So there's a whole wide variety of people doing good and not so good work. I want to say cheers to Kazoo while I got a little moment of silence, Spartan token on his bongo over there. And I was just rambling, but uh, yeah, there's usually I mean, to a give it. I, I, I liked the car uh, metaphor and like, I, you know, I was just telling somebody today, um, you know, I was, I was looking over at somebody who was driving this uh, hot to trot Corvette. Um, and I was just, I was remarking to myself and them that uh, I wouldn't want to be driving such a high performance sport vehicle currently for reasons right and um you know uh, so similarly like you know is it is it is it difficult to grow or to maintain because like the, it's hard to get the parts or is it because it's a gas guzzler is it because of these reasons that are really actually not something to be worn as a badge of honor right or is it because they are because it's like um you know like it's a really you know, Jack, you'll get this because we talked about it, but this is a sort of a weird example, but like jet fighters. <laughs> so like some of them are made in such a way that they can maneuver in this really nice way called super maneuverability. But in a world where missile systems and things are tracking stuff at like 90 to 100 miles out, <laughs> it's like, does that matter? Uh, does that maneuverability really matter? You know, there, there's a debate about that. And I think it's similar here. Like, what is the reason why it's high maintenance? And if it's for reasons that you could probably, like, like, like doctor said, you know, sort of ameliorate, then like, 
maybe you should do that. Maybe there's a better incentive to do that. Yeah, know. that's a great point, Matthew. And I, I totally grant Jack's point. You know, um, my initial advice cars... was to not not get the sport sporty one. My my advice was to steer clear of those. Just to be very clear. Right. Well, I got that. Pick the pick the genetic that, that we are going to. But be all eating. you know, really going in, is that it's going to be hard Go to back check, Jack. And sports cars are hard to drive, but so are like, you know, a, a 1966 van conversion van where the transmission is slipping. I mean, <laughs> that's also hard to drive, right? So that's not a pretty metaphor. <laughs> right. You, you don't semi truck is hard to drive if right. you don't know how to drive a semi truck, which I don't. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, and you don't necessarily, license. you know, a school bus from, from like 1980 is hard to drive. Um, there's a lot of other things that are probably hard to drive too that aren't desirable at all. So yeah, I, I agree. I see growers sort of, you know, drifting towards those kinds of things and it's not where they're likely to have the best experience or the best results. Even I when think. it's a legit thing, like, um, you know, as everyone knows, I am the most expert grower amongst everyone on the planet. You don't have and to even, tell us every time, Tao. Okay. Only, only the planet? Come on, man. You're not, you're not claiming the universe. Well, I, haven't, I haven't left the Earth yet. Okay, okay. I guess that's, that's very humble of you, though. That's a good point. There could be someone there. Right. So uh, in any case, um, I was it, it was very good to hear that more than just I had trouble uh, cultivating that Bruce Banner. Because the, and like that's an example of perhaps where it's actually legit where it's um, worth your effort to learn how to drive that Corvette because like, that's really good stuff. But on the other hand, no, it's not. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving up on it. I still have it. I have it here. I, I just took a cut of it. I'm going to make some more seeds with that female and then I'm killing it off. I have made up my mind. That's it. If but, Tao um, gives up on something, it's really fucked because he kept that weird mutant plant for like three <laughs> years that was ever, like six man. inches tall and it didn't even look like a cannabis plant. Give this guy but some yes. more cultivation space. He deserves it. It was he good does. to know that, uh, yeah, other people had issues. But finicky plants are, yeah, they're very... They're I still, very yeah, I still want to stand up for them, too, because I keep yeah. that one, and that's a famous one for being a finicky plant. And she is a finicky bitch. Yes, but and I was going to stay found... also. Yeah, people but learn I just... how to drive that Corvette. They learn how to uh, drive that, uh, that, that uh, Cadillac from the 19-whatever, that, like, drives like a yacht no well i think it's i'm more of a combination of i'm doing that now but at the right. same time i have the attitude of dr coco and as i know there's going to be a cross of this before too long that actually is good that i can replace it with that i don't have to you know bother with but until i find that cross i'm going to keep growing this one because i like it so that's and it's exactly that one. kind of pragmatism that people are trying to combat yeah. with like marketing and stuff i think trying to put the you're in your spartan eyes. kick regardless of marketing spartan but you're at a different stage stage of your sort of career as a grower too spartan right like you're not a mm. new grower you're not doing this for your first harvest you're not right. sort of like pinning all your hopes on a, a really successful first harvest so for it, sure. that's a good point that context it should be taken into consideration when you're making these kinds of decisions. Um, to new growers, think of your career in growing as like a hobby you're going to stay with for the rest of your life. You're going to have plenty of time to grow all sorts of different strains when you have like cases full of cannabis from previous harvests sitting in this corner in your in your room or whatever, and you don't have to worry about the sort of the 
the disaster of having herms or losing a harvest or getting a bunch of seeds or whatever else is is not the end of the world at that point so um that's how you build up your your stockpile before you start experimenting too hard that's a great point well, i wish i had done that i wish i had done that i'm kind of the opposite of that i uh i beat myself up i put one of my my, my best harvest was my first harvest i put everything into every harvest i'm hard on myself when i make mistakes um, but this isn't, you know, this is important to me and I get it. I get a lot of people do it as a hobby. It's a little more important to me, my family, but, uh, I try to do the best I can with every single plant and, uh, I'm really harsh on myself when I make mistakes and I'm trying to like, just get better with every, every harvest, every plant. And I'll say, say, tell, I, I, I threw in the cow on that Bruce Banner immediately. That thing was way too hard. And the same thing with you, Jack, the Girl Scout cookie wasn't worth my time. I went on the dosy dose of platinum. So I'm all on, on those ones. But every harvest means a lot to me, and I can get it where a grower does that. And yeah. you probably shouldn't put the pressure that I put on myself, but uh, it's just something I've always done in all my life, and uh, that's how I approach it. Yeah, think- so right. If the harvest is really important to you to be successful, you're not going to monkey around with a bunch of things and and make stupid decisions, right? You're going to. And I don't. No, you're right. Correct. Right. Exactly. And I'm not trying to say that these are all uh, that the other things are stupid decisions, but. Like, you know, on one of our challenge, we grew a one cola plant and we do like the party cup plants and stuff. I wouldn't recommend doing that if you're really geared towards production and all. This is having fun with it later on. Right. The supplies already yeah. secured, right? What is that context, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also important to remind <laughs> new growers, it, it won't be their last grow. A lot of people right. that do beat themselves up on their first grow, if it's not their best one, um, just kind of help get them through that first one and be like, Hey, you've got another one coming up right after this and another one after that and another one after that. So don't be so worried like this one person, they have five plants that are looking pretty solid. And then they have like one run and they're like, I just want to kill the run. Is it taking up space? I'm like, those other five plants aren't going to take up the space that that run will just see how it finishes up. Like it's not going to take you that much more time or effort. Just let it go. And they're like two, three weeks later, they're like, dude, I'm so glad I kept it because now I'm going to get something out of it. It's more than nothing. And that was my whole thought. I'm like, it's better than nothing. Just get it through this harvest. So you're early on in your game. You're going to have another grow. Don't worry about it. Just get as much as you can this run and do your best and learn from it. And um, we all have killer runs and we all <laughs> occasionally have some mistakes. Like, even if it's not something you did, like, I guess who's Baculator, aka Capulator, speaking of the Mac, uh, Miracle Alien Cookies or whatever, um, that breeder, um, he's called Guess Who's Baculator on Instagram because he used to be Capulator. He got banned, and then he his old Bean Basement website. Now he's back on Instagram. Well, his most recent post that I saw was his plants in the dark, and they had been in the dark for like several days. And then his dehumidifier, he has like three uh, generators, and like one of them didn't work. And then his AC compressor went down. So it's like not only are they in the dark, it like got to like ninety plus degrees or whatever. And like finally, he shows like day five. Uh, or, 90 like plus degrees and high humidity and it finally gets everything back going again and you know although it's not perfect things are still alive and they're still going he got back on his feet and a lot of the comments in those first posts before he even got a ship back up were like hey man welcome to growing a lot of people think that they're just gonna like <laughs> you know they get success in their home grow and they want to scale it up and everything's just gonna be successful it's like growing is literally just how you deal with problems for most people because there's going it's not when it's if like it's not if it's when it's a constant barrage constant barrage of shit to deal with and you gotta be ready and be on top of it that's what it comes down to in my eyes 
And a lot of people look at everybody else's grows through the lens of social media, which we all know we post our best selves there, right? We post our prettiest plants and our best looking flowers. And, and when everything's going successful, we'll post more frequently and stuff like that. Like that's sort of basic human nature. When, when things go sideways or whatever, you post a lot less or you don't post at all. Um, so when you're looking around at everybody else's grow, you see like everybody else is killing it, man. And everybody else never has these problems that I'm having. And I'm over here struggling like a, like a dumbass. And it, it, that's, I really appreciate when people do have problems and they share it and they talk about it and they go through it. And, you know, that's a huge experience, not just for them to learn, but just be aware. Everybody has issues in their gardens, regardless of what you're seeing them sort of reporting about their plants. You're not alone in that. We all learn, we all struggle, we all have issues, and we all try to recover from them. And that makes you better, not worse. I mean, learning from Absolutely. those things. You, you become literally a more knowledgeable grower who's more better able to deal with experiences like that in your own grow, in a larger scale setting in the future, consulting yeah. with your friends or family who also need help that are going to run into problems. So it's, it's not something to like have as a, a badge of shame it's like more of a badge of honor it's like oh i've gone through flooding my grow room now now i, and know, now exactly. I know what a float valve does. <laughs> right you <laughs> learn something when you flood your grow room you, you learn something i'm not entirely sure what it's going to be but there's lessons there jake you mean you learn how to set up a double float valve <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, different we, people come away with different takeaways from that situation but you learn stuff absolutely every time you have a plant that doesn't do what you think it's going to do you learn something when the plant does exactly what you think it's going to do you don't learn anything it, it fulfills your expectations of what the plant was you already expected that you already knew that um so take those times to to figure out the anomalies figure out when things go sideways and you'll become a better grower it's like in sports sometimes you learn more in the losses than you do just beating a team by like 20 points it's like oh man we we lost what the fuck could we have done better this time and like how did they get the best of us but no other grower has got his hand up again i want to let you jump back in there real quick i just wanted to say that's another way that i differ from a lot of other growers i could give two shits about the yield I don't care about that at all. I would rather have four ounces of really fire weed than a pound and a half of okay weed. I am always about the fucking chronic. And if you want to be really competitive and you want to be able to be good at this, you better learn how to grow the chronic. The freaking yield will come, but you better learn how to grow good weed. And if you can't, you're in big trouble. That's my opinion. Yeah, Definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense. You, you want to start with the quality first and then scale up, not the other way around or at least i feel like one is more finicky than the other typically no uh, actually my buddy has been growing for 25 years the first thing he taught me when i taught got me how to grow was to don't worry about the quality the quantity you always grow about the quality and you will be successful and mm -hmm. i took that to heart and i never forget that and i apply that to my life every single day when i'm trying to get better at growing that's why i went down the organic that's why i switched some of that stuff up it's not because I want a bigger yield. I'll figure that out eventually. I'll branch out, but I'm always worried about the, the, the quality because that's really where you're going to, you know, there's nothing better than when somebody's like, damn, when you show up and you got the fire in your pocket, man, that is the best fill in the world. And I encourage all growers to search for that. Mm -hmm. You could always grow more. You could add a whole nother room if you really were. Hell yeah. More, but you can't grow more quality. The quality is what the, like is what the genetics are or, you're capped. And, yeah, it's like and, a, a, right. a ceiling. Yeah. You have a, a potential ceiling of that genetic and what it can be. But you know what produce. I was going to say earlier to the new grower? If they have a strain that they love, really love, they should maybe try and find seeds of that, you know, whether it's easy or a little more finicky, because then they'll be like all into it a little more, maybe. That's a good point. You have, yeah. Uh, build grow that what connection. You like. Yeah, grow what you like, too, if it's easy. Yeah. 
especially if you don't naturally have a, like a strong connection with plants or like a green thumb and you're not like already super captivated by gardening. Once you get your first crop and get like stoned for the first time off your own homegrown, I think that's like enough of a motivator for most people. But during that first grow, if it's like some unknown strain for you, it might be more difficult to stay focused and, and put as much love and dedication and effort that you need to have a good quality harvest. So I, I don't know. I think if you can't stay focused on your first grow, you're probably not going to stay as a grower for a long time. I mean, most of the growers that like they're their babies then, and you're paying like attention to every new leaf and everything like that. I think, yes, you're right. I think yep. most growers yep. are like that. If you're disinterested by the first grow, then mm, I don't see a long future for you. Here. Yeah. It's going to be a short, short growing career. Yeah. The one thing I was going to say with related kind of back to my initial comment on genetics was um, you do want something easy, but you don't necessarily want the thing that's targeted as like, this is the biggest yielder in, in my, like, if you want to go more like Noah, where you're looking for something that's also really good quality, like big bud is a strand from the past. It is probably one of the biggest yielders, but now that there's better quality around, most people don't grow big bud anymore because it's just not the flavor or the effect. A lot of people are looking for some people still might like it, but I think that it's important to also focus on the quality because um, it's fun having those experiences of handing somebody a jar. And then like, I remember uh, Brandon Ross handed Frenchie cannoli a jar and he smelled it and he's like, Ooh, la la. It's just like, he couldn't even help himself. It was like a, just a natural reaction. And, and Brandon caught it on video somewhere on one of his Instagrams. You might be able to scroll back and find it. But I had the same feeling with uh, Tommy Chong. When my wife won the giveaway to go meet him up at uh, this cannabis cafe, Lowell cafe, which no longer even exists. I was sitting over there on the side because I didn't win the giveaway and I was just like smoking my own homegrown. I paid the little unbottling fee to bring your own cannabis in, which is like 35 bucks. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not smoking your shitty weed here and paying high bucks for it when I could just bring in my own stuff and smoke it. Well, sure enough, I was passing joints over to my wife and she was handing them to Tommy and he's like, this is good. And she's like, oh, my husband grew it. He's sitting right over there. That got me invited to the table because when I handed them the jar, Tommy smelled the jar and he's like, holy shit, this smells really fucking good. So shout out to Subcool who bred the uh, Chernobyl and the strawberry daiquiri which impressed Tommy Chong enough to get me invited to the table and smoke with them for a few hours. So it definitely is important to have the chronic as Noah <laughs> described it. If you have some really good shit, it's going to impress people and it might get you places that you never would have thought you'd be. Do you, um, do you know the, the story of Chernobyl, um, the strain? Cause I don't. I do. Um, Subcool named things basically based off of the most, uh, what would get the most attention. I think he was a kind of, highfalutin individual it's a cross of jack the ripper and something else um somebody would have to give me the lineage in the chat but i, I don't have it off the top of my head but yeah subcool bred it i think it was because also in part he liked the idea that cannabis and hemp in general could like i think i might even talk about last week on the show can be used to remediate um nuclear radiation so like if they were to go to chernobyl and grow a bunch of hemp they'd be able to suck some of that radiation out of the ground and then dispose of that hemp and it'd be theoretically a safer place. So they've done that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an active process. So I think that was probably part of Subcool's inspiration behind naming it that, but it was also like, it was an explosion. Like his shit's the bomb, like Chernobyl blew up. It's a nuclear reactor. It's a big fucking yeah. explosion. There's two like named phenos, the uh, slime paint, the slimer. Slimer. And then, I like that uh, name Slimer. What was Golden the ticket. One? Golden ticket. That's the Golden one ticket and Slimer are the same thing. I believe. Golden Ticket was a pheno that was given to, I think, Coma the Grower, who then called it Slimer later on. But I believe it's the same okay. same cut. I could be mistaken, but I'm 90% sure. Like, lime, like limey, sherbet-like terps. Yep, like a lime slurpee almost. Like the pheno that I popped from seed, 
I actually, um, that was grown next to the Jack Spike Punch, but it smelled just like lime slurpee, like a margarita almost, and very, very uh, good aroma, good flavor, and super potent high. You know, I have a question. It's the leafiest plant I ever grew in my life, and that's why I didn't grow it again. But we got packs at work. We'll probably go through it one of these days. I got a question. What do they do with that hemp that absorbed the radiation? I think they bury it somewhere. They harvest it. it I don't know what they did with it. Yeah, it's now most it's radioactive. the radiation, right? <laughs> well, so yeah, most radioactive waste, when it's disposed, it goes down to the ground somewhere very far away, hopefully with a bunch of other, you know, sort of absorbent. All the hazardous um, stuff goes. Yeah. So I just wanted to weigh in on the um, parent of the male was Jack the Ripper and Bloodwreck was the female for Chernobyl. Bloodwreck is train wreck across the trinity so train wreck and trinity are both uh, northern california strains kind of high terpinaline kind of like a sharp uh bright smell to them some pineiness pineine in there as well uh, but also lime like notes. a lime green right but the bud itself super bright really yeah yeah, yeah like lime like dr mj's kind of uh, logo on the screen like that color even lighter all right i'm gonna have to jump out of here guys we got Big Ed Rosenthal coming on again on the Michigan Bros Grow Show. I want to make sure I get on and get a spot. So I want to jump off of here. Thanks for having me today. Thanks. Shout out to chat. You guys had some uh, great questions today. I love that five things question. That was a great one. Definitely. And um, it was nice to all just do one. We get all this so fast. Yeah, I know. We all just do one. Yep. Anyways, fuck the MCMA. I'm out, guys. <laughs> See Girl love Spartan. Fuck the MCMA. Peace MCMA. out, Spartan. I'm going to spotlight you, Noah, so uh, don't think that we didn't see you over there. You're over in your grow room. You're showing off some dank. <laughs> Speaking of uh, dialed-in environment and some dank buds and organic, here we go. Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna pull out some of the buds of the rack. I pulled this one right here. I did a little experiment on this gelato plant. I cut a lot of the tops off right here uh, just so I get some light to the bottoms because it wasn't finishing as good. But, man, I got a uh, – I've been really just focusing, uh, trying my best here. And, uh, yeah. Um, that's a, you know, there's been a, this is a great conversation today. And I just hope all the new growers out there, I hope that they don't get, uh, you know, discouraged. And I hope they're interested. Like Dr. Coco said, if you're not interested in your first harvest, man, that's, that's not a good sign. I got grow equipment in my room right now from people that for consulting me for dirt cheap because they didn't want to do it no more. It's worth the hard work, man. And especially if you're into this, you like it, uh, you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, it, there's nothing better. That story about French canola and Brent Russ, that is, that's it, man. That's, I dream of that kind of stuff, man. That's my, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing this for. I want to have, like I said, I'm not joking. I'd rather have just a little bit of chronic than just some okay weed, man. Cause I just, I love the chronic. I love, uh, you got a lot of bit of chronic over there. Noah, you're fucking crushing it, buddy. Man, I'm, a- I'm, dude, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, man. This uh, here, look at this is big overflow top right You're there. not even a year into organics, and you're already <laughs> filling up That's the scrog. Nice well. chunk you just lifted up. Nice one. Yeah, there's some big ones here. There's some big ones, and uh, I posted a couple of the gelato tops that I took off of this. And I'm gonna took, uh, do some of this sherbetto back over here. I got some apple fruit over there. Uh, this overflow, man. This overflow OG right here is really, really good. Two Gorilla Glue 4s that kind of stretch a little bit. Gorilla Glue 4 will do that. I might top those, take the little things out and try and pull them down. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I had a great time today on the show today, man, with everybody for sure. So, 
We always have an awesome time checking out your garden. I'm actually going to share screen because I think your Instagram is criminally underfollowed. Uh, more people should definitely check out Noah. We've got 1351, but check out some of these frosty ass buds, man. I mean, Noah is crushing it over there. This is a close up on some of the garden that we just saw. Uh, day 56, that gelato. I mean, super frosty. Got some nice purples coming in there. Resin rails, as I like to describe them. This is uh, absolutely beautiful bud and just consistent, amazing work. I know we were talking about how people only post their best stuff on social media, but you just saw Noah pan through his garden. It's a bunch of good looking stuff. Like, look at this frosty ass bud with another giant ass cola behind it. And just, you could scroll down his whole entire page. Noah's been doing this for years. <laughs> just big, beautiful buds and uh, hard work. Like you said, it's not like it, it comes easy. He puts in the work to get this. It, it wasn't like he just woke up one day and there's dank growing out there. He uh, puts in the time and the effort. And, and as all of us do, anybody who has had success in their garden, I commend all of you because I know it's not easy. I know that uh, there's some late nights, early mornings, uh, sore necks and backs and hands. And it's, it's definitely a lot of work, but it's nice to be able to spotlight someone like Noah and many of the other people that have, we've been able to have come on the show. Just uh, show off some of the dank because I think as a community, we're all getting better together. I'm seeing more people growing uh, pictures like this than the opposite. You know, it's uh, more and more people are growing dank now than having unsuccessful growth. So I'm happy to see people continuing to have that success. And I think these types of shows are uh, part of the reason that we're all able to get better together. You know, people sharing what they know and uh, all that hard work we put in over the years and sharing tips and tricks and seeing what works across the board for everybody else. I wish I had access to a show like this when I first got started. People like Brandon, Dr. Coco, Steve Angel. The whole entire planet, Brand Rose, all, all these guys, man, they're all high-end growers and uh, respect everybody's opinion. And I and I ask questions on the show and I've applied it to my room and uh, anybody else that's listening can do that too. 100%. I really appreciate that support. Yeah, no, I think that uh, oftentimes I'm asking questions just genu genuinely because I'm curious about it. Uh, occasionally I'll be like devil's advocate or trying to come from like the common man's perspective and just give a little bit more context on a situation. But I've learned a great deal from the show and um, still do every single week. I mean, we're coming up on three years and I haven't felt yet like, oh, I'm going to go into this two hours and, and take nothing away from it. I always feel like, oh, you know, there's something more to think about. Uh, the whole next week going into my garden, I have kind of these thoughts and ideas buzzing around my head and also the Michigan Bros Grow Show and checking out them uh, and other shows. It just gives you so many things to think about and maybe experiment or maybe not just kind of take it as a this is what other people are doing and there's lots of ways to you know go about getting a good harvest not everyone's going to do it the same way so it's cool to see the different styles that also might be successful yeah i've definitely learned a lot too myself um especially from the chat and uh, the various people that i've been able to interact with um and also like in other social media settings um just kind of uh collaborate with it's uh like i say all the time it's, it's sort of surreal and i'm also glad that i'm very humbled honestly that uh i'm able to have the, the influence that i have on, on on this sort of a subject that i think is really important and uh, i look forward to seeing more people like myself kind of entering and um sort of uh collaborating and also people who are way more professional and um I guess I would say, um, like uh, researchers and, and PIs and things. I'm excited to see all of that sort of scientific understanding kind of unfold more and more. I'm curious um, because 
I, I've talked about this in the past, but where I discovered your content was seeing you tagged in grow photos of people with pests. And they'd be like, at Sync Angel, what is this? Like at that point, had you already had a pretty deep understanding of like what all these pests were or was part of that process identifying literally hundreds, probably thousands at this point of posts part of like your learning process? Like you look at something and be like, what is that? And then do some more research on probably some of those occasions. Steel start sharpen steel. And uh, it's definitely one of those situations where because to, to me, I had this personal ethos of trying to help as many people as possible, you know, given like the, the realistic situation that I'm in and everything. And um, it has definitely led to me either discovering a new pest or several new pests uh, documented, at least on cannabis. Um, and also sometimes they're organisms I hadn't experienced before ever. Um, sometimes there was something I already knew or like kind of knew what group they might be a part of. Uh, but other times it was like totally new for me, which is rare, I have to say. Um, but like, for example, a giant, giant, um, giant scale or giant mealybug uh, from, uh, I think it was South Africa was on uh, somebody's cannabis like two years ago or, or more. And uh, that was a really cool example that stayed with me. Um, uh, Africa has a lot of cool insects, but uh, I find, yeah, I mean, I find that that has been really helpful for me and also for, you know, interacting with, and honestly, it's almost like street cred to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I've been, I think that I credit a lot of that success I've had with um, just being in the trenches and helping people out. I Which, uh, gives me pride. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I literally learned so much from IPM from just watching you tag different pests because I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I'd go in the comments and you'd be like, this is a scientific name and then like common name. And then it'd be like, oh, it's just a ladybug, but it was like ladybug larva or something that people haven't seen. It looks like a little alligator. It's kind of scary. It's like, what the hell is in my grow? <laughs> you know, but then you're like, oh, that's just a lady beetle, you know, but there's lots of times where it was actually something problematic or it was not problematic and you let them know, hey, this isn't something you have to worry about. So uh, it definitely gave me a, a fresh perspective on IPM of this doesn't have to be something where I'm just like a uh, tragic moment. I need to save my garden, but it's like you could inform yourself and be educated about things that make them less scary and even like uh, save you some work in some cases. Like some people would nuke their garden because they had a beneficial insect <laughs> just thinking, oh, any insect is bad. So I'm going to kill everything off and then cause a bunch more damage than is needed. So uh, very important perspective that you give and I appreciate it. With that said, we've got about six or seven minutes left. There's about five of us. If anybody has any final thoughts before we go into um, our shout outs, I'd love to hear them, but yeah, I guess I'll pass it off to anybody who might have any, anything that you didn't get to say earlier before we close it out. Not I. I'm just going to shout out the original host of the, of the show for bringing me here. Um, I'm a total nerd for all this and to be hooked up with Tao and all you guys, every single, you know, Kyle, every grower that's been on this panel, I've learned a lot. And uh, just a big shout out to Shane. I just want to say thanks a lot. And I feel lucky to be here and a part of the group. We're lucky to have you, bud. We uh, definitely appreciate you showing up whenever you have the time and it's pretty much every single week. So we've been very fortunate to have you over these years, which I, it's crazy to say because when I first did this, I thought, oh, I'm going to do one show, <laughs> you know, they come on do an interview or whatever. And like, this isn't going to be something I do regularly, but ultimately it kind of got the bug where this is uh, kind of the outlet for a lot of us who uh, love cannabis and in our regular lives don't have as many people to talk about it as we'd love to. So we get this little outlet 
each weekend and uh, I appreciate it and everybody who comes. So uh, Noah, why don't you let the people know where they can find you and we'll do a little around the horn where people can find each other. Yeah. I'm Noah the girl with uh, two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. Um, you can always, I'm, I'm a summer regular here and uh, yeah, if you got any questions about what I got going on, you can shoot me a direct message or tag me or anything. I try and always help out and, and I'm always down to learn myself. So uh, yeah, until next week, I'll see you guys all then. Cheers, Noah. And also cheers to Chef OMJ, who says, missing you guys. Wish I could be home in time to come on. Sorry about that, Chef. We definitely miss you as well. I never really uh, remembered what the reason was that you weren't able to join the panel anymore, but you're always welcome to come back if your schedule ever changes or if our time ever changes. Probably not likely, to be honest, but as far as our time changing. But if you're ever more available in this time, we'd love to have you back, Chef. But with that said, I want to pass it next to Dr. MJ. Yeah, I miss having Chef on the panel. That was fun. Um, great show today. This was a lot of fun covering all sorts of different topics. I think we all got into something interesting. Um, I wanted to let everybody know the the next Grower Love giveaway is now live on our deals and discounts page. And this is a really big prize that we've got up this time. Um, contest is going to run through March 15th, I think, or March 20th. I'll have to see Jordan set it up. Um, but we have a chilled Growcraft Ultra uh, X3, 330 watt light. Um, I tested the prototype about a year ago and uh, now I'm giving one away. So you can just register for that on our deals and discounts page at Cocoa for Cannabis. Um, fun show today. We all learn stuff, guys. That's why I think we all come back to the show. I've learned a lot about how I grow, but I tell you, I have learned just like buckets full about how other people grow and um, seeing that that diversity and, and thinking about things that, that never come up in my grow. And it's just fascinating to always see what everybody else experiences as they're, they're growing this plant. Um, and I just wanted to reiterate the fact that we all make mistakes and we all learn from them too. So new growers should feel more at ease with the experience. And I think certainly in, in our growing community, you get all the credit in the world just for putting in the effort. Um, it's much more in a, a sort of effort-based game um, than it is about results, at least, I mean, <laughs> from the way you'll be received in, in the community and supported and stuff like that. So um, that's what I like about all you guys. That's what I like about sort of the chat in this show. Uh, invite everybody over to Coco for Cannabis and, and join our community there. And I am Dr. MJ Coco, giving everybody grower love. Always good to have you, Doc, and appreciate those uh, grower love giveaways and just all the support of the community in so many different ways. Uh, just always happy to have you here and uh, learning along with us. And Chef says, how is uh, Shane doing? He's doing well. I just, uh, I think it was for his best, for his health and for work and everything that he took a step away from the show. And if he ever wants to come back, he's always welcome to. But I think that at this time, this is just not where uh, his heart and passion is at as much as other things. So uh, I'm happy for him that he's still uh, healthy and well as far as the last time I talked to him. And he's just happy uh, letting us kind of keep the show running. So I'm happy to continue the show and be part of this great community. So that's it. Pass it next to uh, Matthew. So... I just uh, want to reiterate what I said earlier that uh, interacting with everyone like I have been having this sort of direct uh, person to person, multi-person connection um, 
like I said, steel sharpens steel, and it's allowed. It's definitely allowed me to uh, hone myself, um, which I and am incredibly grateful for. So if you're interested in getting that information, if you haven't encountered my educational content before, um, a lot of it uh, is actually videos, a lot of short videos on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, uh, is uh, submitted from people who I've associated with on social media who are like, please share this. I want people to know what this looks like. Or you helped me find this out, you know, please share it, um, you know, for educational purposes. So you can find a lot of that media on my YouTube channel, also on my Instagram, at Sync Angel, and uh, also on Twitter at Sync Angel as well. Thank you so much again for joining us. And last and certainly not least, the American one. Jack, as always, thanks for uh, taking the reins as the host. And it's always good to see the panel and everyone in chat. Um, I want to reiterate again what Noah Grow said about um, Shane. Thanks for uh, bringing us all together and uh, letting us do this and, you know, giving us the, uh, the push start. And I also want to reiterate what Dr. MJ Coco said that uh, it's awesome getting all the points of view from everyone. It's always a different angle. And it's like, you see others see things that you don't like. Uh, I remember the one time the kid was saying his uh, plants were hitting the top of his greenhouse. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, you could super crop it. You could lean it over a little, tie it down. I think it was you, Jack. You're like, yeah, why don't you just lift up the greenhouse? You know, cut the legs or whatever. Just lift it up so that you have more, t more ceiling room. That was seemed like the best move. So, yeah, it's awesome to be here every week and learn and uh, get different perspectives. And, uh, yeah, I'm the American one. And um, I can't wait till next week. Peace out, everybody. Great to have you. Great to get some credit for uh, advice that I don't know if I gave or not because it's been a few weeks. But uh, always happy to have the American one. And I agree the multiple perspectives that this show offers, uh, both from the chat and the people on the panel. I really enjoy it and love that uh, different feedback and, and things that we would never see in our own garden that we get to uh, kind of work through mentally together as a group to help maybe just an individual. Like it could be just one person's question that we go on a half an hour diatribe and really dive deep to how to best optimize that person's thing. But tonight we had a pretty general one. There's a lot of new growers out there, plenty still joining as states legalize or as people just gain the confidence or the time, money, and space to make it available to themselves. So uh, welcome to all those people that are new growers and thank you to all the regulars. I see tons of regulars. I know mo most of you are have been growing for a long time. So I think that we do a good job trying to mix up the topics for new stuff and more in the weeds, deeper, high sciences and things like that. I always have a lot of fun with it, kind of whatever path we go down. And uh, yeah, with, with no further ado, I'm at Jack Greenstock. I'm going to cover up my camera so you can see my logo on Instagram. I'm at Jack Greenstock. Jack so underscore kept, Greenstock. Uh, you've kept a Cowboy Blazer fan on um, highlight, I think. Oh, okay. I, I, on the YouTube, at least, I, I just see him like his outer ring. But um, Oh, I see. Remove spotlight. There we go. But at least we're in the gallery view. So <laughs> I can't be perfect, just like in growing, right? We all make mistakes. Exactly. But that's, that's what it's all about. And a uh, mistake is just an opportunity to get better. As soon as you admit it, accept it, and then move forward. So something to think about. And uh, stay positive, everybody. Peace and love. We'll catch you all next week. Uh, look forward to doing this. And there's no, no signs of us stopping anytime soon. So uh, this is Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love. Grow love, everyone. Later, everyone.